Download the app, Bet Big, Win Bigger. And I got to tell you, I really like the sound of that. And with WinBet, it's just that easy. WinBet has what you need to win. So if you're from Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, sign up today to receive this special offer. New users can take advantage of WinBet's bet $50 to win $200. Just bet $50 and win $200 in free bets. Download the WinBet app now or visit wynnbet.com. Download the app, bet big, and win bigger. Let's get after it. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where win bet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. The Greenlight Podcast welcomes you. Mm. Lots of fun on today's show. Brad Holmes, the GM for the Detroit Lions. Brad and Chris talk the Lions 2022 NFL draft class. Working with Dan Campbell, the transfer scene in college football, and learning the business from Les Snead when he was with the Rams. We start things off with the Golden State Warriors NBA Finals recap. Talk a little Lego and Playmobil. Then after Brad, we answer a couple topical sports questions and then dive into the highly anticipated best movie dinner scenes best movie dinner scenes. Chris, Matt, and myself will each give our top five, so y'all make sure to stick around for that and enjoy your day. Can you hit one, Matt, please? Good here? Yeah, you're good. Cool. Fuck, you just hit one? Huh? You just hit one every day? Yeah. <laughs> one. All right, Reed, you got it, <laughs> And then dude. you can, you can yeah, go back you, to two. Then you hit two. Thanks. <laughs> just go like ahead, driving Reed. a boat. Yeah, just like driving just a, like boat driving a boat or a bus. That's right. Or a bicycle. Yeah. All right, Reed. We've got red squares on all three. The timer's rolling. Great. See, you see Reed, you hear Reed here. He just continues. He's a fucking field general, guys. Reed's here today. Reed's my co-host today. Um, Reed, how's it feel over here in this in this on this couch, dude? Feels pretty good. This couch is a nice one. I had missed it because we had done these uh, great live streams during the football season. That's right. We parked our our rear ends right here. Yeah. Um, so it's it's nice. It's a good couch. It's a great couch. Now we might be changing the set around a little bit, but it doesn't mean we're going to get rid of the couch. The couch is going to stay. Couch should stay. Whatever we you know we move it back there. Yeah, we yeah. we mount it on the wall or something. That's we right. cut it in half. Whatever right. we do, That's you right. know it could be cool if you cut it in half and and then it's like a um, I don't know what they're called, but not quite a love seat. But the you want to like you a sectional. You yeah. Wanna, you want to chainsaw the the couch? Anytime I can use a chainsaw, I I would I'm happy. <laughs> I have not led you. This couch is expensive as fuck. Right, right. We can Artful, buy it. Let's, shout let's, out to Artful Lodger. Let's buy another couch. I'll chainsaw that. Okay, good. And then, and then we'll. And then I we have can another idea here. I don't want to. I'm going to say it, and somebody's going to have it tomorrow. But school desks. 
yeah. really plush school desks where, you know, like my ass is, is sitting on like sheep's wool, but it's a school desk. So we have a place for our laptop. So I'm not getting the radiation on my, you know, Johnson. Well, I'm more worried about <laughs> the other. Maybe I want right, a third. Right. That's true. That's a team conversation. <laughs> but yeah, we maybe school desks. Okay. So, um, this is where I will leave space for us to talk about the NBA Finals. If the if game six is worth the shit, I think it will be. So you'll probably hear from, from us in a second at about like midnight. Uh, right now, we are gearing up to watch that game. I have no idea what's going to happen. Me and Matt were just talking about the way uh, we think the money's going to be and the money's on the, on, the, on the seas at this point. And I think uh, Golden State's catching four. Yeah, that's right. I hope the season doesn't end tonight. I want one more game. You as a Celtics, I don't know what to call you. Are you a Celtics fan, dude? Yeah, I'm a Celtics fan. I just felt like the white podcaster who loves the Celtics was already an established <laughs> field, so I didn't want to get into that. Isn't that the plot at the ringer? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, like shout out to Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's like saying, stole our whole flow bar for bar. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's okay to be a Celtics fan because you know what's going to happen if it goes game seven. No, it doesn't look good for the Celtics. The Warriors are minus 400 to win the series. So I just want another game just for the fun of it. NBA Finals, there's nothing going on this summer. I love a quiet championship. That's one of my favorite things in sports. This is the time right before, hey, listen, while I can talk about it because maybe they get Golden State gets their ass kicked tonight and, and this is null and void, but I love, and you guys know this, winning on the road in pro sports. My favorite thing as a player and now subsequently as a fan, I used to as a fan sit there and hope the teams won it at home, right? Because it's just, you deserve that. There's so many fans that have been waiting for it. You love to see like people going nuts and that whole thing. I think Boston won it at home, yeah. Anything is possible, that whole thing. But there'd be nothing more enjoyable than watching like 30,000 quiet people from Boston. Like, when you hear your team celebrating and the the mics on the networks pick up every word because it's so fucking quiet and in the stadium, drop I get the chills every time. And you just see sad fans. Post-game celebrations are way better on the road in the NBA, no doubt. Dude, they have to bleep words out mm -hmm. and stuff. Like the guy, the guy in the TV truck, you know, he, he's lording over a game that's that's, you know, an elimination game at home. Like he can relax. But if a team wins a championship on the road, he's got to be ready to hit that, like, you know, cuss word mm -hmm. button. And motherfuckers are letting loose. And it's just like in football, you can hear 53 guys screaming, <laughs> like in every corner of the stadium. That's how it usually was in St. Louis. <laughs> and it's probably great. Uh, you hear that one fan from your team. You got like though you can pick out where those fans yep, are because yep, all you the yep. home fans are quiet and they're walking yep. out. You can say, "Oh, hey, what up to that guy who's screaming and freaking out?" Not when you play for the Eagles. The right. Eagles fans are like they are <laughs> thick, they are deep. I told you about Silent Count, and you know on the road playing the Chargers, Philip Rivers in Silent Count tapping his foot up and down, and then uh, they basically took over the Coliseum. So yeah, but generally true. So I'm hoping the Warriors win this thing. For a team that's won three championships now with a chance to win four, I, I couldn't hate them less. It's amazing. They have a cheat code for being rel relatively likable. And if you hate Steph Curry, I think that's probably your problem. Something's wrong with you if you hate Steph Curry. I do not understand the hate for that guy. If they do common sense gun reform, one of the first things that should happen on the background check is do you like Steph Curry? <laughs> if you don't like Steph Curry, you shouldn't get, you shouldn't even get like a duck hunting gun. <laughs> 
a duck call. You can't even you have can't a even duck get call. get a fucking slate call right. yep. if you don't like Steph Curry. I'm going to go 97-96, uh, low-scoring ball game. Nerves are tight. So it's midnight, uh, Studio J, and the, uh, the Warriors just won the whole damn thing, so let's, uh, let's talk about it. Guys, I just won a, a fucking moped. I had put so much money on the, the, the Warriors tonight, money line and catching four championship DNA. That, sorry, Matt. That I forgot about my series bet, which is awesome. And uh, man, I just want to say this. One of the most likable dynasties in sports history. I was just going through them. I mean, short of like uh, some dynasties that I don't know much about, like the Big Red Machine. They have a cool name. Or, uh, you know, like I didn't watch baseball enough to really hate Tim Lincecum or Pablo Sandoval. Not that I would. Madison Bumgarner, not so much. But like the Giants are pretty likable from that little era there cool manager Bruce Bochy like you hit balls into the the drink and shit I think this is up there the Spurs they're incredibly like well I mean I'm a huge Celtics fan and I can't help but be happy for the Warriors right now well you guys like flat out lost that series I mean like they won the series for sure but you know Boston fans can't be mad well it all goes back to game four I mean you're up 2-1 at home the ability to go up 3-1 you know only one team's ever come back from 3-1 in the history of the NBA finals uh so that game four will probably go down as the turning point in the season. But, I mean, the real disappointment was Jason Tatum just didn't have a good series. And most of the time, didn't even look like the best player on his own team. You know, the first player in an NBA postseason history with over 100 turnovers. Like, there were so many times where he just drove to the, to the lane and just settled for these kind of, like, weird floating layups where he's avoiding contact and he's often flailing you know he needs to get stronger he's a great player i love jason tatum hopefully this will be a learning experience for him when he's back in the finals next time but he clearly struggled st louis dude love jason tatum but you know i disagreed with everything people were talking about with draymond the other day in his podcast and being distracted it's perfect time for the when's jason tatum's podcast joke and i'm not even going to make it with any like because I'm not happy to make it, but all these people told me, and speaking of my guy Draymond, he had a really good game five, really good game six. He looked a lot more like Draymond. Now, yeah, he, he had, had a bad turnover when they were up 12 in that kind of like witching hour there uh, yeah. that turned into a three-point play on the other end, and I was like, oh shit, if this goes the other way. But my guy, Maple Jordan, comes up with a block the next, uh, the next possession, and they get back on track. But Draymond played really well. Um, down the stretch and like showed why he's Draymond. Like he 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 wins in a lot of really you know kind of like he's just a winner. He makes winning plays all over the basketball court. Like his stat line tonight was incredible: 12, 12, 8, two steals, two blocks. Like, but he was everywhere. It's and the all energy. the in between plays, the energy, the tip, the tip balls, the physicality, like fouling on literally every single possession to put so much pressure on the officials that they have to allow more contact. It's, it's a smart basketball. Dude, and, and, you know, we were looking at that press conference earlier where somebody asked him about LeBron and, you know, preparing for a really smart Celtics team and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he did such a great job of answering that question, giving LeBron his due. A guy who he's gone toe-to-toe with has no reason to, to gas him up. Called him maybe the smartest basketball player in the game's history. While also giving the reporter a nice nuanced respectful answer and he's going to go on his podcast tonight and do the same and give everybody give everybody free um nuanced 
you know, you can only get it here type analysis from a guy who was just on the floor and people had a problem with that and tried to attribute that to his poor play. It's like nobody's ever had a fucking slump before, dude. He had a bad run of three, four games in the finals. And you heard him up on the podium tonight. Like, they were like, what'd you learn about yourself? He, I learned nothing about myself. I know exactly who I am and I'm a four-time champion. And I just love that about him. So I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Steph, man. Steph got MVP, man. And good for him. Like, right? I mean, probably should have probably should have had it. Yeah, he should. Um, I mean, maybe... You could argue LeBron should have won it the time that, right, the time right, that right. AI won it or that Iggy won it. Had somebody on the Warriors gotten it, like, n- no shade, but like. Yeah. So Steph gets an MVP, which is a big deal. I know it's a big deal to him. And the first thing he does is he turns around and gives everybody a fucking high five. Dude. Bro, his teammates looked happier that he won the MVP than they were winning the trophy. Like, you, they were so genuinely happy for him. This group is one of the all time happiest for each other NBA teams, like, ever. Mm-hmm. I just I get that vibe, dude. The way Dre talked about Clay, the way people look at Steph, the hug I saw with Wiggins, like a new guy, you know. But like their role players seem happy as hell. Bielitsa, Peyton, like James Wiseman got benched, isn't playing at all. He's team. happy. You know? It's a happy ass team. It's a happy well, ass team. It's a well coached team. And 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 Kerr's got um, nine rings now. I forget how many Belichick has, but it's obscene. And not all of those are as a head coach. Now, obviously, not all of Kerr's are as a head coach, but the combination of five as a player, four as a coach, you're getting up there now. And I know, you know, he's been a great benefactor mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways, but you have to respect nine rings. No I doubt. mean, you have to respect nine rings. And um, Do those two franchises, dynasties, like, remind you of each other at all, Golden State and New England? No. New England is thought of as more draconian. I would think, I mean, fucking, I saw Tony Robbins on the bench with the the Warriors tonight. You know, I, I do think they do remind me of each other in a way, and we were talking about this earlier. So if you ask Steph, and it sounded like he said in the post game that this was like a, a, you know, this was the sweetest one in so many words. This one meant a lot. Like, think about everything they've been through. It's been well documented. But as an athlete, those those times are... Like when you have tough years in pro sports, they feel like they're 10 years long. And, you know, to watch his friends get hurt, to lose that series. I mean, they could have five rings right now easy if if people's bodies cooperated and that sort of thing. This has been a long couple years for them. And they talked about it. So this has to be the sweetest one. What, what it reminds me of is the Patriots taking a 10-year break between 2005 and 2015, I believe it was, uh, between the Patriots' last Super Bowl in the early 2000s and the one that they needed Malcolm Butler to get that pick on the goal line. Like, if they don't get that pick on the goal line, New England goes between 2005 and 2017, January or February, sorry, of 2017, without a championship. And those are long years for somebody who's tasted it. And I can only imagine for Steph and this group the hardest one was getting back on the horse. And it's not like another team where, you know, you don't know how that feels. Like, th- these are champions, dude. It's, we say championship DNA. Nothing is fun for these guys after they've tasted that first one. And for for there to be three years between two championships has to make it really sweet. Especially for Clay. Like, last time he was in the finals, he tore his ACL, doing his recovery, tore his Achilles. You know, he's not the same player he once was but he's battled back and made himself still like 
you know, a good league level starter with elite traits. I saw some people online comparing you to Andrew Wiggins. What that you was about funny. That? There was well, there was a guy we were doing the who is who is and I, I did a tweet about uh, the Chris Webber tweet. I said, is Andrew Wiggins Tom Brady? And if so, what does this mean for? And I just cut it off and said, what? Uh, because I was making fun of the Chris Webber tweet, of course. And some people didn't get it. And they were like, dude, you're pretty high. I'm like, dude, you're not online much. But yeah, I was doing a Chris Webber tweet and I was exaggerating after Andrew Wiggins' gorgeous layup. And we haven't been able to talk about that because of the way the podcast has been dated. But in game five, he knifed through the lane and split Jalen Brown and somebody else. And it was a big transition bucket. Like this was deep in the game and, and it kind of it kind of catapulted them a little bit to like put on the afterburners and finish that game. It was a Jordan-esque layup. We were just talking about the layup. Uh, Except more necessary to change hands. Like more necessary. More traffic, and now, higher leverage situation as well. To be fair, Jordan had it in his right hand completely. Wiggins never took it out of both his hands, but put it in his left hand. The difference was Wiggins had to split two defenders that were actually jumping. So anyways, uh, I asked, I was getting hyperbolic because Wiggins, I'm obsessed with Wiggins now because I'm just so happy for the guy. You know, something too being a high draft pick, right? Going playing for a shitty team. Some people doubting if you, you were worth it. The whole thing. I've been there. Um, but still playing good basketball or still playing good football. Yeah, and, people and mercilessly I'm, doubted his like work ethic, his basketball IQ, and those clearly weren't the problem. Well, they never did that for me, but the comparison in the mentions was, Chris, you're kind of like Andrew Wiggins. Like, you know, like you, you finished your career a champion and you started in obscurity, a high draft pick that disappointed some. I hate comparisons because I had the productivity of a top five positional player at my position for a four-year span. I don't think he ever had that. No, but I think he might over the next four years. Like when you think about NBA players, 27 to 29 is like generally your prime and he's 27 right I'm pretty now. psyched for this guy, dude. I'm fucking psyched for him. I don't know anything about him except for that, you know, like, you know, he, he, he disappeared in Minnesota and people questioned his work ethic and all the things you said, but he seems to have bought in and people really seem to like him, man. So another great moment was like Wiggins is up there on the stage and presumably his daughter gets popped up there as his mid-interview. And it's the biggest moment of his life. And I've been here as a champion where you look down and you see your kids and they just don't realize the gravity of the situation. His daughter, I think, is playing rock, paper, scissors. Um, so that's just a wholesome ass moment. And, and what a soft spoken kid. He's still a kid, right? Who's got a whole chapter of his career ahead of him. Uh, I think that's the biggest difference. You know, if I were to answer that guy's tweet, which is that like he's got a lot of time left, he could win more championships, and he could he could cement himself as um, as one of the most important players in phase two of this dynasty. Yeah, and what's crazy about this dynasty is they're actually set up for phase two because they lost those few years and because of a few different trades that they made. They have three high draft picks that didn't play at all this year, that have been in their development for a year, that are going to be ready to go next year. Wiseman, Moody, and Kaminga. Like, those are three players that a lot of teams would kill to have. And for that reason, I actually think the Warriors probably open as the favorite to win the title next year. And I think that's a hot take, but I don't know as much as you. I mean, like, I, I just feel like people question the path this year. And uh, I'll just come out and say it. 
the NBA Finals and the, the Larry O'Brien Trophy, it's marred. Like, it's a little bit, there's a little bit of an asterisk because of one great player who wasn't there during most of the playoffs, and that is uh, Chris Middleton. I thought you were going to say LeBron. That's the joke. <laughs> but, like, how differently does this go if Chris Middleton doesn't I get hurt? I think Milwaukee wins Milwaukee the title wins the if title, Chris probably. Middleton doesn't get hurt. Yeah. But that's any year you can do this. You could do that with Toronto's championship, you know? Um, so, anyways, man, like, I'm just super psyched for them. And, and you, you said it, like, the, the, the personnel moves they've made. Like, they are a real organization. A lot of these basketball teams now, and they've dabbled in this with Kevin Durant and, and the one-and-done superstar that, like, comes in and builds this little mini super, te- super team. Like, it really feels like they build, you know, as an organization. I this agree. guy, Bob Myers, yeah. I want to congratulate him on a great He's hairline. Really, <laughs> it's good-looking, man. No, I didn't say good-looking. I just said <laughs> I his said hairline <laughs> is down there next to his eyebrows. The fucking guy's, he doesn't even have to think about not wearing a hat. Guy can wear a backwards hat anytime. Even if it's a, even if it's a, an adjustable and his hair, the, his lettuce is always in place. Yeah. So good for him. But he's also done a good job of and accumulating. Real power. quick on stuff. Two things he doesn't get enough credit for. Like over and over they played against LeBron in the finals and LeBron hunted him on defense and made him look bad because he's LeBron. But Curry has improved defensively so much. And when the Celtics hunted him, it really didn't work out that well for them. And the second thing is like, Think about the sacrifice it took to take Kevin Durant in, not win finals MVPs, have people say you're not the best player on your team when you know you're one of the best players of all time. Like, he doesn't get enough credit for being a great teammate. You're absolutely right, and it, and I think it, it comes through. Um, there was some commentary online that he's an ugly crier. Um, I thought it was a thing of beauty, man. I'm super happy for him. There's very few pro athletes anymore. I'm so jaded having played professional sports now. Um, I don't get to be a sports fan very much. Like, I truly, I see these guys as human beings, not giants, like, you know? And uh, and Steph is, he's just navigated all this stuff with such class. And it's, it, Steph brings out the fucking old, like, play the game the right way guy in me. <laughs> he does, dude. I'm sitting here like, look at what he did. He high-fived everybody. So like I'm 70 years old. Plays the game the right way. He's just a, he, he's, he's humble. He's the epitome of humble, but I don't take shit from anybody. And I know exactly who I am. And he's one of the best players to ever play the game. Definitely one of the best shooters, but now he, he can kind of cement himself as one of the best players to ever play the game. Oh, and I told you about fucking winning on the road. That's my favorite thing, dude. So I hope uh, you Warriors fans enjoyed watching them win at game, you know, game six in Boston. What a place. I mean, like. It wasn't as painful because I felt like that team overachieved a little bit. They so did. the crowd was still like, hey, we're happy to be they here did. a little bit. They did. Hey, down 2-1 and then down 12-2 in, in Boston. Championship DNA, man. Didn't flinch. Game two didn't flinch. Down on a down. 21-0 run tonight. Bro, how about you're the Warriors, you score like 120 points, you get outscored in the fourth quarter by a team that's been, I'm talking about game one, by a team that's been just burning the candle at both ends, and you get smoked by them and and get worn down as the game goes on. You come back game two, you make them feel your presence. You're down 2-1. You rebound from there. You're down 12-2, game six. People think things are cliches. Championship DNA with this group is not a fucking coincidence. So congratulations to the Warriors. Sorry, Matt.
At least you want a moped. I want a fucking moped, dude. So now back to uh, the time when we didn't know that the Warriors had won their fourth title. I want to say hello to Chesterfield, Virginia, man. This is some good news we got. Chesterfield, Virginia uh, is now the home of a Lego plant, man. Think about this. I can take my kids. They need to hurry up and build this fucking yeah, plant, Yeah, no, honestly. $1 billion. They better build it quick. Somebody needs to put a boot in their ass to get this going because if my kids are too old to like enjoy, be excited right. about, hey, let's drive to Chesterfield to and see where it. they make the Legos, that's going to be a problem. Now, are they going to build the plant out of Legos or similar looking Lego blocks? Like what if, what if it's just a bit like walls and you can see the lines connecting? That would be so you, cool. That'd be Reed. sweet. That'd be I mean, awesome. But people, we, we all know people don't do cool stuff like that. And if you work at the plant, you have to wear a Lego person outfit. You walk <laughs> in, you're the part of your, your daily attire yes. or whatever. You have to put on yeah. the, the, the little square head. You have to walk around like this. Yeah, yeah. You, 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 can, only, you can only, like if you shake somebody's hand, right, you got to right. do a little Lego. You see your coworker, you got to shake their hand like that. <laughs> <laughs> you got your, your head has to be able to twist. All the way around. <laughs> Nobody has a dick. That's good. Why didn't they call us? They don't have knees. <laughs> you don't get <laughs> knees. The holes in your feet. I love Legos, man. And I you can't. can't wait for you this. have to turn. You have to your your torso and your yeah. and your lower body. Yeah. You have to turn it all at the same time. Got to be tiny. Yeah. They get a little big. liberal with what they're calling Legos now. Nowadays, you could buy like these big Legos. Right. Anyways, I don't want to spend the whole I, the whole show talking about Legos. I'd be a little more stoked if it was a Playmobil plant. I was a Playmobil kid growing up. Playmobil you was fucking a, hipster. Yeah, dude. Playmobil was the. Play, I go to shen, shenanigan shout out. Playmobil was awesome. But you remember? I, I didn't know they were still rolling in the in the uh, late nineties, early two oh, thousands. Yeah. Oh, that I feel like that's when it was at its peak. I mean, I, don't, I wasn't around in the '80s, bro. Yeah, see, Playmobil was out of control, dude. In the '80s, you should have seen what Playmobil <laughs> was like in the '80s, dude. They had. Um, I would always. I would make battles between like cowboys and Vikings. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, like careful now. Yeah, yeah. But the the Vikings like they had to get close, but they would like would invade the island, and the <laughs> cowboys had their little. Only in a Playmobil set could we ever. They need to make a movie. Right. They need to make a Northman. Uh, Playmobil. Uh, <laughs> read read. How do they say that with the X at the end of it? Redux. 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 Okay. Why not just say sequel? So people got to sound, sound smart. fucking fancy, <laughs> like we're in cons. Um, but imagine the Northmen roll up on like uh, Houston, Texas, right? Eighteen seventy-eight. Who would? It's like who would who win? Who would win? Yeah, yeah. For like, who would win? Book like, series, yeah. not animals. Genghis but, Khan's yeah. crew or fucking or, Alexander the Great's right. crew. We, that, should, we yeah. should ask my brother Kyle. He's yeah. a historian. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. So, he was all over that. That could be a whole nother read read series. Like yeah. rather than animal versus animal, like right. dictator exactly. versus yeah. dictator. Pre read predicts who yeah, dude uh, fucking we're just hatching segments. Catch these jewels. Nobody replicate this stuff. I mean it's all copyrighted. It's R I R R I P R I P. R I P. Yep. So I don't know how this popped into y'all's heads, but this is a hell of an exercise. We're going to talk about the best dinner scenes in movies. Now, um, we're going to do that after our esteemed guests coming up here. But I went down a rabbit hole, man, and uh, I was hungry when I, when I got out of it. Like Some of these dinner scenes made me hungry. Some of these dinner scenes I thought were a little bit overrated. Like Some of these scenes didn't age well. Right. I'm, I'm going to say some things in, in the B block of this show 
that's that might offend some people we got some great responses on twitter you tweeted out that we were doing the segment some great yeah. you know people dove in i'm such a dork i have all the movies i've seen rated on letterboxd so i just went back and looked at all my ratings and tried to remember good movies or good uh dinner scenes you just don't have kids yet that's all that is if i didn't have kids bro i would be doing a lot of shit like that it's fucking, it sounds amazing, actually. My wife's probably, you know that meme where a guy and a girl are fighting? Or when the guy's just staring off into space and they're laying in bed, what are you thinking about? Oh, it's always yeah, yeah, like yeah. something. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Like, for me, it'd, it'd be like that list. She's like, you know, my if my wife was, was to find out what I would do if my family just left me, it'd be stuff like that. So, Matt, I admire that, and we'll dive full, full, full on into these... Uh, into these movies, Movie man. Dinners. I'm, I'm all about it. So we'll also talk um, right after our guest. We'll also talk uh, a couple sports, sports topics. Sports topics. Yeah, I love sports topics. Real Maybe quick like on, sports. on movie and dinner. Let's say you're going on a date. Would you rather do dinner followed by a movie or movie followed by a dinner? Oh, God, that's fucking Can movie easy. not be included. Question, man. Just dinner. No, honestly, you want dinner. You want dinner, then a movie. You want dinner, then a movie. Movie, then dinner, bro. Gives you something to talk about. Oh, that's really good, dude. You guys need you stuff to talk about? And I am stealing this from Curb Your Enthusiasm. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. I don't remember that. But I don't remember the scene where it would have been. But uh, I, that's a great point. Jeez, Louise. I always think about if you're on a real date, my biggest fear with like eating and I never had to do the dating thing, like truly, you know, because I've been yeah, so yeah. murried so long. Murried. Um, shout out, Meg. Love you. Uh, Lovely wife. Yeah. We still go to, we still go on dates. We went to the, to dinner the other night, but if I eat something that makes my breast smell bad and my wife is next to me, it's not a big deal. Right. We love each other. Yeah. If you're on a date, something ironically about not loving someone that makes you more worried about your breath. <laughs> You know what I mean? And my breath is not bad. Uh, I hope you guys would tell me because there's a lot of people walking around that people don't tell them about their breath. But like, there are when you are single, I would imagine you have to calibrate like what's on the menu where you're going on that date. Because there's some food. There's also food that makes you look not real hot. Right. Like spaghetti and shit. Right. That's what tough do you do? to, you How know, do you what wrap do you it do? Yeah, that? it's like you have to think about it. Now, you, before it was like, oh, I'm going to a business meeting. I can only eat this, 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 and this. Mm -hmm. Now you have to think of that in a date, too. That's tough. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But it's fucking true. Right. Anyways, yeah. So I, I would have thought dinner and a movie to give your, your time to get to the car, get an Altoid, or some, something of that effect. You know, maybe sneak a fart in before you get into the movie theater. Because that's another one, is like people are afraid to do that. Right. Again, it's the paradox of love. <laughs> you, you, love you can lean over and be like, hey, guess what I just did? Yeah, exactly. If it's funny, dude. It did you hear that? Is right, what right. I say to my wife, which would be a code break at the movies. Don't do that at the movies. Don't do it on the plane. No. Will Compton's daughter the other day, code, code break. break. Big code break. Total code break. Wanted to respect the guest and not right. run him off the show, but. If he was in that theater and he had brought his baby and I would have very politely right. asked and him to And she leave. had ripped a fart like she did? Yeah, that was that was bad. Double you code know, break. You can blame it on your wife however much you want, but... Double code break from yeah. Will Compton. So, today's guest, Detroit Lions GM, Brad Holmes. So, interesting thing about Brad is he said he would never trade away a good player. Right? Right. Matt Stafford. What did he just do with Matt Stafford? Matt Stafford. <laughs> I did, if he hadn't been so gracious with right, his right. time, and obviously, when I, even if I'm super cool with Brad Holmes, like 
he's a GM, dude. There's some things they don't want to tell you, and they're they're very smart. GMs are some of the toughest interviews in sports. Yeah, I mean they're. Very, I mean we've had I think three. Les Snead, Joe Douglas, and GMs, head football coaches, they are they live with like a military mindset. Mm-hmm. Like they can't tell you where the, the codes to the, the nukes are. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's they're guarding the fifty second player on the roster, like they would guard that right. sort of thing. So Brad Holmes, awesome dude. Great loved, background. Loved, yeah, the background. He was he, he was in a coma for three weeks at um He almost died. Yeah, in college. He was a defensive tackle, got yep. in a car accident. Three week coma. He wouldn't even be. He he used to work for the Hawks in two thousand two. I think it was. Yep. I didn't know this about him before he got to the Rams, where I met him. Wilbert Montgomery gave him his start. So Eagles fans, uh, you know, this is like my world's colliding. But Wilbert Montgomery, who I really didn't know much about, but evidently a really good player mm-hmm. for the Eagles, uh, gave Brad Holmes his start, and Brad was coming up in Earth City. And now crazy enough, like fast forward. It also, when you stop paying attention to somebody's career path, like, cause we kind of do that with front office right. people and coaches, somebody will pop up in the news, like Matt House, Google Matt House, but like, he's gonna be a head coach someday probably. I remember when he walked into the St. Louis Rams meeting room, you know, he was the assistant D-line coach. He wasn't even like, I don't even think he had a title. He was like an intern, basically. He was a defensive quality control coach. He's now the D, D coordinator at LSU. At LSU, dude. Yep. That's legit. And I'm not, I'm not down in him or Brad Holmes. What I'm saying is it's crazy when you look up after 15 years, you realize how hard and how long people have been working in the NFL right. and in college football. Like it takes a long time to climb those ladders. So happy for Brad Holmes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, Brad Holmes, guys know me for a very long time. The right draft pick can take your team to the playoffs and beyond. When you're scouting prospects, you need a powerful partner. You need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Find great talent faster through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent seamlessly all in one place. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Indeed is the unbelievably powerful hiring partner delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. Sign up for Indeed now and get $75 credit towards your first sponsored job. Plus, earn up to $500 extra in sponsored job credits with Indeed's virtual interviews. Visit indeed.com slash bluewire to learn more. Claim your credits at indeed.com slash bluewire. Indeed.com slash bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey. What's up, Chris? What's up, man? Look good, at, man. How you doing? I'm good. Look at you. You got the, the I'm like, Brad, I wanted to see how dope the office was and everything. And you got a mural back there, dude. <laughs> Legend for that, dude. It was a little outside the box when I got here, but I was like, man, we need to liven this thing up a little bit, man. Yeah. You're the first GM I've had on that's got a mural behind you. And that's, that's <laughs> I think that's a good sign, dude. Hey, I appreciate you. Um, coming on man and it's great to see you and congratulations on everything i've been super psyched for you thanks man i I appreciate you having me on man um you know 
Hopefully you do know I've I've been a, always been a huge fan, man. Well, I appreciate of, you, man. Of you, man. So um, I, I, I can't you. speak highly enough for you, man. I want to start with the story that I heard on uh, on Eisen the the water jug thing. He said <laughs> I had a water jug. Aiden Hutchinson had a water jug. You were like you were like this is the same guys. So you know where you you know where I saw that water jug. So it was crazy. So it was. It was at the combine. So I was a combine scout. Mm-hmm. And so I used to do like, I used to have to do all the POA tapes, the point of attack tapes. And so I did your point of attack tape. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm a huge fan. Like, I, right. I, I love this dude. So then my job at the combine was to be at the airport. Yeah. And so you came, something happened with your flight where your flight got delayed or something. I don't know if you remember this. But you got to the combine really late. Yeah. And so red, I think flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> man, like he can get his own limo or whatever straight to the hotel. But you actually showed back up the next morning and like was very compliant and like did the right thing. And I was like, oh, I'm even more of this. There dude we go. Now, man. But you had the water jug right there. And that was <laughs> the first time we met in person. I was like, all right, he, he he's all about business, doing the right thing, man. Yeah. So when I saw Aiden with the water jug, I was like, oh yeah. That's I so that's so funny when you said that because it it like brought back memories. And I was trying to remember how much I actually can recall from that whole process. How did I interview generally? What was the word on how I interviewed? Oh, everything was super positive. Okay, it was good. like A plus intangibles, everything. Okay, okay like, good. Was, this is good. This is yeah, good. Yeah, it, it, it was all good. But no, when you showed up at that place to meet at the airport where you could have easily just like, I'm getting my own limo or shuttle, but like you show back, I'm like, he didn't have to do that. There you go. No, I was just afraid to fuck up, man. That just means I have a, <laughs> that just means I have a dad that disciplines me, you know, that actually grounds me and shit. So so there you go. Uh, all right. Well, I don't know if you heard this story at the combine. I stuffed tissue paper in my gloves to try to get a higher vertical, and they caught me. Is that? I did not hear. About it did that. not make it back. Okay, good. That was. But I, I would. I'd be shocked to hear about that because I mean, man, you kind of always did things the right way. I was. That so. is the right I'd be a little way. Disappointed, actually. I'm trying to get drafted. That is the right way, <laughs> dude. Um, that's so good, man. Is there any? Is there like I know you know you guys had a, a great draft by all accounts. You got the guys you wanted, but like before the draft, I'm always very interested when I talk to people I know about the combine because. You know, there's so much talk about which metrics are the most important, which are the least important, what's overlooked, uh, what's underemphasized. Like, I know there's drills that I think are underemphasized. Do you mm-hmm. think that there are drills and metrics that are underemphasized that you guys key in on without giving too much away? And then the opposite, are there drills and metrics that you're like, uh, I'm over this? Yeah, you know, that, that's a great question because I think that's evolved over time where if you asked me that question like 10 years ago, I would have said, well, look, I just need to see the the, the 40, the vert, yeah. you know, the broad and in, in, in the shuttles. But I think with the incorporation of analytics and how we use analytics now, you know, there's models ran where certain positions has shown certain success, whether it's through playtime or whatever, based on some of those testing drills. So, I mean, whether it's if it's offensive line and for short shuttles or something like, like that. So um, I think that's evolved over time. So we kind of take it case by case and by position. And then also if it's, you know, is this case by case for player too. So if it's certain, a certain player, that's like, you know what, I know this guy's fast in a straight line, but you know, I'm, I kind of question the change of direction. Like, 
we may just focus on that a little bit more. If he runs a fast 40, he jumps high and does a lot of those linear testing things um, to a high degree. You kind of expect that, but okay, how was a guy change directions? And sometimes the player might not do it. And then that's probably another sign of, okay, he's hiding something, you know? Right. It's like a game of cat and mouse. You're trying to figure out where the cracks are. Yeah. Yeah. To a degree. Yeah. And how hard is that to like get that information from people? I, I had less on, I think I asked him this was like, you know, you're going to these schools, like it's in their best interest to tell you the truth or it's in their best interest to gas these players up. Which one? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what time you ask them. So when they're still depending on those players, then they might gas them up and give you, you know, let's just say the company line. Now, it'll vary by what your your trust level right. of a trusted source is at the school. But, you know, I always found like, you know, sometimes at a pro days where those players have kind of moved on, then the tune might change a little bit and say, well, <laughs> why don't you tell me this? When I talk to you back in October, man. <laughs> yeah, because well, but, um, yeah, I guess what play that that worst case scenario out is the player here is that the coach is is down in their ankle flexion or something. Yeah, yeah, I mean it, it could be to that degree, but um, but it always it's very it's a very strategic process in terms of where you gather that information and, and, and when you get it. And like I was talking about, like just intangibles and character, it's like building a house to the draft, man. Like starting from the year before and training camp, it's just, you got to keep building it and talking to more people. And um, eventually the smoke will clear and you'll, you'll, you'll get what you need. This year, I think the, you know, like you got your guy at two hometown guy, like the whole thing, you guys really liked him. You could tell, um, you got Pascal, who we were talking about leading up to the draft. That kid's a freaking stud. Yeah. Um, and then in the middle, you you end up with your white whale, dude. You you guys got the guy that you really wanted to snag. Go into that process of like, hey, we're gonna draft a guy that's hurt in Jameson. Um, he's gonna sit maybe for a while. Do you have to kind of go through the owner on that one? Is that a thing that's like it's got to be really collaborative? Because hey, we're yeah. doing this. Yeah, that's pretty much how we run everything here is uh, everything is kind of through collaboration and we want to have clear, open, honest communication um, all the way from from the top down. And I just think that's how it should be. But especially with um, with, with Jameson, um, that was one that, you know, I had to kind of change my stance on a, a little bit because um, I kind of had just because of the injury, I kind of had them kind of in a separate box you know, throughout the process. And I knew how talented he was and how explosive he was, but um, I knew it was a game changer, but I was like, he's got that injury. And I'm just like, man, you know, you're drafting, you know, you got to go to get him in the first round. Yeah. But I had to kind of get myself out of that rigid, stubborn, almost kind of archaic um, mindset because just the ACL injury and medical advancements has evolved so much <laughs> over time that, you can't you can't look at it the, the same way. And, and I had to check myself in the mirror and say, you know, like, is that a lazy way of thinking of just going to like you're just going to not overlook him, but kind of keep him in his box. But when I took him out that box and just stacked him with those other wide receivers on a fair plane, that's when it came very, very clear and evident that that he was a guy for us. Do you remember what your first thought was watching that game live? Did you watch the Natty live where he blew his knee out? And, uh, you know, because I remember everybody's first thought is April, you know, like and just heartbroken yeah. for the kid. But you're the one that can actually like at that point, 
you have no idea what you're going to do in April, but are you sitting there thinking like poor kid? It was devastating. It was devastating. And, and, you know, at that time, I remember our uh, college director, Dave Sears, I think they're playing like Texas A&M. We were somewhere like we may have been in Minnesota somewhere. And, um, that's when I think he ran the kickoff return back for a touchdown. And then like Dave was like this Alabama kid, I'm telling you. And then so then that's when I started getting really, really excited about him and digging more deep into him. But seeing that injury, it was just it was just crushing. And I just felt so bad for him. Just, you know, everything that he went through at Ohio State and the season that he was having and the the game that he was having and all of that. And it all comes down. But um, but just kind of diving more into his intangibles, uh, his his resiliency, his passion for the game. Um, and no doubt that he'll, he'll bounce back. Yeah, the ACL is way different than it was even, you know, I feel like in the early 2000s, the way they look at oh, this thing. Man. I mean, and forget about the 80s and 90s. I mean, that's a death sentence in the 80s and that sort of thing. So yes. it was really cool that you guys took a chance and you had the latitude to take a chance. And yeah, like I, I heard you talking about your, your, your mode of thinking with the Saints and how they might be thinking how that gave you hope that maybe he might fall. You guys made a, a trade with the Vikings to get from 32 to 12 in division. Is that a thing? Like, do people, you know, are you like, I don't know if they're going to do this because we're in the NFC North. I mean, we saw yeah. Parker get traded in division from Miami to New England this offseason. What is the code there? Is there some kind of GM yeah, code with uh, division it, trades? That's, that's a great, that's a great question. Great point you bring up because we're talking about how the ACL injury, like how it's been viewed is it's kind of been like, oh, stay away. And then how that's evolved with the medical advancements. Right. I just think that in division trading, um, I think that that's become a little bit of an archaic way of thinking just because, you know, just as much as like we're making a trade and just as much as crazy in Minnesota is understanding, okay, whoever we select at 12, he's going to have to play this player. Well, I'm thinking the same way, like he's gaining multiple starters in this trade right. and we're going to play those players too. So it, it, you, you gotta, you gotta come to grips with, with both of it, but you know, at, at the same time, they're, we're, we're both getting better. So um, yeah. I just think it's kind of, and it actually got turned on to me last year it going into my first draft was, you know, there are some GMs within the division that, you know, I, I, I spoke with and, and even for the Stafford trade and all that about like, you know, they they kind of felt that way. It's like, look, man, that's an archaic old old school way of thinking. And so then, like, um, I, I give a lot of credit to, to Quasi in Minnesota because he came out and he is very open minded and uh, forward thinking in that approach. And and I I, I kind of think I'm the same way. And so um, I, I think that's why I was able to happen. Well, yeah, you don't want to outwardly say I'm too afraid to trade a guy that I don't think is good enough to help us. I mean, yeah. like, I'm afraid to get beat by the guy that, that I can't get something out of or that there's better capital on the other end of this thing. Like, that would be a weird admission to say, like, I'm afraid to trade Devontae Parker because he's going to torch us. Well, then keep yeah. him, you know? Yes. Uh, so, I, I, you know, it's interesting. I always wondered about that individual. You know, I will say this on this one. was I, I even had this, you know, not trying to give too much, but a lot of those players that they ended up taking – you know, with, you know, 32 and in, in the, like, it was players that we had heavy interest in. Yeah. So I understand. Now I'm looking at this. We got to line down versus guys. Yeah. Now. yeah. Guys that if we stayed at 32 and 34, like, 
those are guys that were right right there in the wheelhouse. Yeah. So, you know, he, they, they got some good football players. So you had, I mean, this year it feels like, I know you, you, you alluded to the fact that last year you were watching Waddle because you wanted Sewell, which really worked out great. And I love Sewell for a second if I could. It's very yeah. interesting how quickly somebody wants to write a pickoff in today's NFL. Like he had a bad preseason or, yeah. you know, somebody wasn't complimentary of him in OTAs or there was yeah. some talk about what side of the field he was supposed to play. Uh, and the fact that also some guys aren't as good on one side of the field as the other side of the field. Like talk me through yeah. the Sewell process internally. Did y'all hear the noise as it began? Uh, and then how satisfying was it to see him kick step and just dominate? Yeah, you, you you hear it. You just can't really, you know, um, give it too too much attention. Um, you know, what we knew about Sewell is that, you know, he was coming off an opt-out and he hadn't played. And so um, yeah. when he was getting back to it and he had been a left tackle and then we had him at right. So he he, he, he missed the year and then he's, he's switching sides, you know, so we knew it was going to be a, as a talented and gifted as he is. And as all ball as he is, I mean, we knew it was going to be a little bit adjustment. So I want to say it was like the Pittsburgh, maybe like the Pittsburgh preseason game. Yeah. You know, I think like Melvin Ingram or somebody kind of gave him some 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 good rushes. And you know, I I but Dan and I thought he needed that. Like he he needed to go through that. It's the best and, time to do uh, it. Just knowing what his makeup is, he just got better and better and better, man. Did he remind you of anybody coming out? Oh man, that's that's a really good question. That's a really good question. I will say, guys that I've done in the past, he really didn't. Yeah. Just because of the, um, I will say, in terms of athleticism, athleticism and power. Um, you know, when I did Joe Thomas, yeah, coming out, um, he had similar athleticism and power, um, but. Um, but he was just a little bit, a little bit different, just yeah. kind of just his style, just kind of his build, you know, um, you know, he kind of was, um, not, not as tall, not as long, but just the way that he carried his movement and the way that he used his length, um, which is something completely different than, than I had evaluated. Yeah, he seemed like a little bit more of a road grader, like when he gets yeah. out and, and really latches on to people, it's like, it's a bad deal. Yeah, no, then that's the unique part about it because he was he's like he's got that road grade. He can move, he can move people, he's got power, but when he gets out in space, man, yeah. I mean, he 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 can really move and dance yeah. and that's pretty unique. So, yeah, I don't know who the backup was last year if you didn't get Sewell, but how about this year because I haven't heard you say if the if your worst nightmare came true, you guys trade up to 12 and and the Saints feel like they have the latitude to draft Jamison, then what the hell were y'all going to do? Yeah, no, I mean, we 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 would have stayed in in, in picked. Um, obviously, we wanted we wanted Jamison, um, but you know, you know, there was other you know, there's other receivers that we had you right. know stacked fairly fairly close. Um, you know, obviously behind Jamison, but they were close enough in the grade that you know um, we we would have went there or even possibly a, a, another position. But um, luckily, it worked out. Um, sometimes the draft guys just smile on you. Um, what, what, what did you think about the kid from USC? Because he was such a unique body type. And, you know, he said he's not going to run. He didn't run. What do you think when you hear that? Do you, is the tape good enough? Yeah, you know, there's a lot of um, – you got to watch the tape, obviously, and say, you know, well, 
if he's not running or if speed is a little bit of a question or a concern, um, how much does that really impact his game and uh, the way that he plays his game with a lot of, you know, contested catches, being a rebounder, 50-50. Yeah. And, you know, I think he moves well enough and, you know, he's got the footwork, his ability to bend. Um, so I, I totally understood why, why he was the first one gone. Who do you think was more excited after a pick? Randall L. after you guys snagged Jameson or uh, Mike Waffle? in the uh, Aaron Donald uh, war room. <laughs> That's a great one. Uh, very, very similar. I, it, it might be Mike Waffle, man, because I, I just, you know, Mike Waffle always preached, you know, size, size, size. You know, I remember when he first got there and he was talking about, you know, you and Quinn and, you know, Brock and all these Kendall guys. Langford. Oh, Kendall Langford. I mean, all those just guys. Big dudes. Like, no, big and he was like man y'all have a great defensive line y'all done a wonderful job when then Aaron Donald comes in he's opposite from a size standpoint that Waffle's been saying but man he just he's just a hell of a football player is that how it went down was it did he really walk in fish told me a story he walked in the room and just slapped his name on the board and then walked out yeah, he. I don't. I can't remember if he slapped the name on the board. I just think that he just came in and he just kind of made a statement, <laughs> of like of like Aaron Donald did, and I was just like, yeah, okay, yeah, right. yeah, I get it, you know. You likened uh, the Jameson thing to Steve Kime not wanting to watch Kyler Murray, right? Because Kyler, he yeah. just, you know, he's like, I just drafted a quarterback, might as well not watch this guy. But we know how the the rest of the story goes, like. Have there been players that you legitimately knew you had no chance of drafting that you were like, fuck this, I'm not watching this guy's tape. <laughs> I like him too much. I don't want to be yeah, – like, know, who's um, a guy in the past couple drafts that you were like, man, I just – I wish. You know when I, I kind of learned to practice that patience and kind of discipline to kind of avoid that is the, the time with the Rams is that, you know, back when I was in L.A., you know, did not have first-round picks. And so – you know, there's certain guys. It's yeah, like don't even, tough. don't like, don't bother, don't tease yourself. And so, like, let's used to have those guys. Like, look, don't even waste our time. Like, let's just go to the next tier of guys. And I, I thought it was a good practice of patience and discipline, just to not even put yourself in there because you might see a guy. It's like you might force you to do something irrational. I, no, I, I, mean, I do totally. And it was so funny because I hit up less and you know, I was like, man, I'd love to have you on sometime like around the draft or like after, you know, and it's a busy time for y'all. And I almost forgot because Les hit me back and was like, let's do draft week. And I almost <laughs> feel like Les was was flexing on the fact that he didn't have to, to, to work that week. And if any of the GMs or other people in the football world saw him, they'd be like this motherfucker, dude, he's just doing podcasts. You should have saw him last year. Um, we were FaceTiming like maybe a week before the draft. And yeah. I'm like drinking out of a fire hose. Everything is going crazy. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, what the first year guy, yep. anxiety, all that. Mm -hmm. and like Les is like in his office with his feet kicked up, yep. just kind of <laughs> calm as ever. Just like, hey, man, just and I'm just like, what? The <laughs> well, you what know, he's calm anyways. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, you know, he's got it under control. But, man, those, those guys do a hell of a job. Yeah. They, they've obviously they, – they've set a standard. Um, Les, Les taught me so much 
about you know um, how to do it the the, the right way, and uh, we we can only hope to to emulate some of those results that that they they've had. But um, I, I got a lot of respect for how those guys do it. Is there one thing rubbed off on you from Les? It's not lighting draft capital on fire, but like maybe a, a you know something that he told you that stuck with you that you like I can apply that with regularity. Yeah, you know, it's always he used to always have a saying of um, you know, and a saying that you probably heard before, but it's always keep the main thing the main thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's 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 football, and you know, you're you're getting football players. So as much as all these analytics comes in and all these different ways of how the process is evolving, you know, just hey, keep the main thing the main thing, and you know, do you like the football player? or or not you know and um just as you can you can simplify a lot of things um it's a very intricate and detailed process um but um that that's one that he's always taught me and you know just the um the the uh, ability to be concise to be concise and, and efficient you know and kind of just you know i kind of cut down to the point and kind of just if you can eliminate as much noise in, in the process as possible um, you know, I think that's that 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 bodes well for you. So those are some of the things that I learned a lot from him. HBCU guy made a promise that you were going to draft an HBCU guy. He got he got a dude from uh, where Jackson State Jackson in State. the sixth. Uh, yeah. How much does that promise mean to you? And and what what more can we do to showcase the talent that exists uh, at HBCU football schools? Yeah, you know, um, and I, I didn't really promise. I didn't really make a promise. I just wanted to make sure that um, I, I afforded those, those those opportunities and, you know, made it a, a, a reality. And especially coming off the year before where there was no HBCU players uh, selected. And then, you know, we had a nice little run going up to that. But, you know, I just uh, saw, again, just when the stars aligned, it just happened to be that James Houston was a player that we had a lot of love for throughout the process. And a guy that I kind of uh, found out a little bit later on in the process, you know, kind of when he started the, the all-star games and, um, you know, kind of diving a little deeper into his, his, his production at Florida and all that stuff and his versatility. Um, but the more and more, so I always say with James Houston, like any, any HBCU players, like, they they truly have to earn it. They, yeah. they really have to earn. It. I've always said, you know, when you when you're coming out of HBCU, you got to check every single box. Like you like you you you're not in a position to have a bad All Star game. You can't go do do bad at the pro day. You can't like you have to earn it every single step of the way. And so I thought that's what James did, and uh, it was which happened to be in position to get him. Is it you know we're talking about small school guys? How about guys that bounce around three four schools now? You know the transfer portal's wide open. How does Man. that affect the way you guys? You know, because I think there's also a conversation. I wanted to get to it, but we might run out of time here. But like the context of with with which you judge veteran NFL football players in different scenarios, you know how fucked up somebody's situation can be, and mm-hmm. and vice versa. You can be in a great situation. Uh, in college, you get to see guys now playing for three, four different programs in some scenarios. How do you like hone in and say, what do I disregard? What do I pay attention to? And how do I yeah. sift through this contextual mess? Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think what it does, it, it forces you to evolve a little bit on your uh, college scouting coverage process 
in terms of kind of, kind of um, you know, you have everybody's got their areas and then they have your national scouts, your cross scouts, and, you, and then your directors and over the yeah. top guys kind of, kind of go out. But um, it does force you to kind of look at, okay, well, do we need to evolve how we're doing this process? Because um, it, it's only going to get, I don't want to say worse and worse, but, you know, it's only going to continue to increase of the amount of exposures. But it doesn't, and the big picture, like I was saying about less need, about keep the main thing, the main yeah. thing. At the end of the day, the way that that guy played football in, you know, the Murray State uniform versus the way that guy was playing football in the Texas uniform. I mean, is that guy playing hard? Is he, you know, is he instinctive? Is he competitive? Does he play with a high motor? Does he play the game the right way, such, such as how you played the game the, the right way? Like, he's either doing that or not. Right. And so I just think it's good to see it if it, if he has, you know, similar or equal production, especially if he goes to a higher level through through the uh, yeah. transfer portal. But end of the day, man, either the the guy's a good football player or he's not. Is he consistently who he is? You know, yeah, absolutely. Because you don't want a fair weather guy either. Um, no, you know. No. So I, I last thing here on on the Lions, man. Like uh, Dan Campbell, I've been a big fan of his since he since he took the podium the first day. I don't care about biting knees. I care about do players believe in you and the MO on him since New Orleans was he's a guy that can get down in there in the locker room and guys really fuck with Dan Campbell and and yeah. you know and, and I think that became apparent through the year was there a moment where you felt like the locker room really bought in or was it just this continuous grind because it's hard to get up there after losses like I saw coaches consistently have to get up there and give the same speech in St. Louis after, hey, we're gonna turn this thing around, we're gonna turn this thing around. That's the hardest job in football. You just gave the yeah. speech last week. So yeah. what did Dan do to have people buy in? I think that's more of like it's equity that's built up over time. It wasn't yeah. like just the one defining moment. Um, I just think it's a lot of stuff that people don't see at the podium in terms of um, how he is with the players during the week. You know, just kind of this, those personal interactions and his consistency, his his is being him being genuine, authentic. Um, I just think that all players just respect just that honesty, straightforward, direct, but also he cares about all of his players. So I think that how he's built that and being consistent, you know, ever since day one, since he started, I think that, you know, when we had those tough losses last year and things were getting dark, you know, um, I believe that's why the players were still believing in everything that he said, because he, he basically delivered on everything he said. And he understands that, you know, look, we might have some bad luck here or there, and we might not always get the results we want, but him staying consistent, always on is always genuine, always authentic. Um, I, I just think you can't you can't ask for for more. I, I truly think the guy just he's a special he's a special head coach, and he's he's got elite traits. and And it's not really just coaching. I just he just has elite traits as a human being, and so I think that's why it's just such a natural transition to how he coaches. And a couple awesome things, you guys coming in together, that's a big deal. Like GMs yeah. and head coaches have to work in concert, that's what I always hear. And then if they start at the same time, that's even better. And then on top of that, you got a ton of former players on that staff, which is yeah. really cool. Some of them I know. So that's like a recipe for getting players to buy in 100%. Yeah. Okay, last question, this is, the, this is the bad one, Brad. Would you have traded Barry Sanders when Barry Sanders won it out in 19... <laughs> 
<laughs> Welcome to Detroit. Here's a soundbite. Hey, I am not going to trade away good football players. I'll at least try not to, especially yeah. special ones like that. So yeah. okay. I'll try to hold on to those ones okay. you know, okay. as much as possible. All right, cool. <laughs> I was thinking about, hey, when I had uh, when I found out I was coming on this podcast, I was going to share like a bittersweet moment of like as much of a fan I was of you. I, I don't, I don't, not sure if you remember. It was like when you were playing for Philly, yeah, and um, and then y'all were playing in LA, yeah, and it was, it was a night game, big time game. It was like I think it was deciding if the home field. If, oh my weird. gosh! And like it was the most bittersweet Chris Long memory I have ingrained in me is that when you got that sack fumble at the end, dude. I was just like, I mean, you just basically just crushed the season and some, I was hey, man some things some things man, i love this dude to death but <laughs> i man, love y'all man it was hard it was hard <laughs> the year before i remember and i was in new england and, and y'all came up there and, and naturally the patriots won like because they were really good and y'all were rebuilding a little bit retooling i remember after yeah. the game it was so weird i was like in the locker room with william hayes like it was like I never left. Like, what was like, come back to the locker room, see the guys. I'm like, this is fucking weird, but I feel like I'm still on the team in a weird way. But I'm just excited. I'm excited for those guys. I'm excited for you, man. I think, you know, if you if you came up in Earth City, you got a little something different. You got a little something different in, in your core, man. So I'm I'm super psyched for you, Brad, man. That, uh, I, I love your whole program. Power plan, Earth City, kind of build something in your system a little bit. Yeah, well, one, one way or another. Hopefully it's not an Aaron Brockovich situation. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> hey, Brad, dude, uh, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Chris, thanks for having me on, man. If you're here in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, or right here in Virginia, and you haven't tried the WinBet app yet, I have great news for you. WinBet is now offering $200 in free bets for new users. That's right, $200, 200 big ones on a $50 bet. WinBet is basically giving you free money. Don't turn that down. Don't pass that up. Download the WinBet app today. Terms and conditions apply, must be 21 or older, and present in a state where win bet is available. Gambling problem? In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. And in Michigan, 1-800-270-7117. Tennessee, y'all too. 1-800-889-9789. Rocking off with some questions here. Not quite a six-pack. A We're going to do an IPA four-pack. IPA four-pack. IPA four-pack. Nice beers. Tall boys, uh, but not quite six, four, your, and maybe with a shooter. You got an IPA you like, Reed? You no. Crunchy ass. You I don't, got, yeah. I'm not quite an IPA person. Really? The PBR with a lime. Okay, that um, makes sense. Yeah. South Street Satan Pony yeah. is very good. Okay. Local local spot here. Yeah. And, the, and Devil's Backbone has a couple good ones. I maintain that one of the best buzzes in the world is about six IPAs in a joint. That's right, because you did the river float last yep. year with some IPAs. Which did you I do done. some IPAs on the river? Yep, we little, talked about little that. heavy for the river. Yeah, probably why I don't remember that. Yeah, <laughs> but go ahead, Reed. So, Chris, you used to play for the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, I did. Are you happy that you are not going to have to deal with their uh, updated watermark? Listen, buddy, it's not a good thing when people are paying attention to your watermark. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like if Macon were here, this would be a slam dunk, like. Let's break down the watermark to a T. Um, but it's just ugly. I mean, like, I think they could run a contest 
you know, like some prize contest where if you if you're the person, you get like a million dollars, right? And nobody would say there's one tickets. person that likes this this watermark, right? I, this is terrible. Usually, I'm afraid to criticize my former teams, like you know, get gratuitous in that way. Mm -hmm. And I've I've held my tongue on Carson Wentz at times. I mean, Jalen Hurts has a bad game. I don't try to to kill him, you know. Right. Um, but this this watermark is is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'm looking on the the site right now, and it's probably I'll just come out and say it, it's the worst font in the NFL. Yeah, I. I agree. I mean, the Jets and the Steelers, what they have right now is their watermark isn't great. What? The Steelers? Are we looking at the same watermark? With yeah. This stuff? I don't, no, that's 1980s. That's way in the past. We Wait, don't need this that. This is akin. Well, they've spoken like a guy who was born in 1994. <laughs> I 93. Not, oh, wow. But, and I don't like the line straight through. The, I mean, because what is the point of that? Buddy, this the is line up, there up and with down. Your, it's like your, your, your well, curly fries that. take. You don't like curly fries from Arby's. <laughs> but that turned out to be true. And you don't like the because Steelers? Because they're peeing in Arby's. No, it doesn't. There's no <laughs> correlation there. I mean, listen, the Buccaneers. These are all ba like a lot the, of these are basic. A lot of these are basic. Like turn of the Las century. Vegas. Honestly, what? you don't like the Las Vegas Raiders. Why, is this it's just block block letters? Like it's not cool. Are you trolling me? This is Jackson. One of the most what do you think of Jacksonville? I'm calling Macon. <laughs> That's the only time you'll say you'll hear me say this. I'm calling Macon on his vacation. <laughs> we really should have Macon call in to talk about these this, right. this Raiders take. I mean, I'll take the Jaguars carnival font over this. This gentrified. Jaguars, yeah, this, Jaguars is awesome. This is what this this font looks like. It's gentrification, man. That's what this font is in Philly. This is a Fishtown yeah. font. Yeah, it's this not Fishtown font, dude. And even scrolling through these, even looking, I'm disappointed in the Denver Broncos one. You, you didn't can, even know what their watermark was. Like, yeah, that's the and thing. You if can't the, even read Denver. The Broncos one looks like an eye chart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at the Denver Broncos. Big ass letters, little ass letters. Exactly. And backwards. Broncos, Denver. Right. If they had done it like Houston, that would be okay because the, the city's a little bit bigger and it's on top. But yeah, you don't want to read Broncos, Denver. And some of these watermarks are very, very are we even calling it the right thing? Watermark, Matt? Yeah, I think so. I think the Commanders is the worst in the NFCs. Yeah, at least with the Commanders, it looks like the font on the side of like an aircraft carrier, yeah. which are cool. Except Draymond Green might not like that. So he doesn't want to play basketball. One of the right. motherfuckers he just said. Exactly. I don't blame him. The ball rolls off the side. Got what problems. do you do? Well, the ball floats. Right, the ball floats, but you're gonna have to go get it. Ball uh, overboard. So all I'm saying is, Reed, you got. I, I, we're not parking our cars in the same garage, but for 26 years, man, the the Eagles had this old. Big, fucking aggressive, winged font, man. It was right. awesome. It was so 90s. It made me think of Weapon X and Donovan McNabb and Westbrook and all those guys and the Axeman. And holy shit, I'm getting nostalgic. I didn't know. When I was a kid, I didn't know I would play for the Eagles and get lucky enough to win a Super Bowl with that team. But I loved that fucking team. They were just fun. This reminds me of uh, Del Curry and Sonia breaking up and then him bringing that woman to the game. Who turned the out to The way the internet felt about that is how I feel about... I'm not saying I feel any kind of way about right. that. I'm just saying the way the internet felt about Del Curry and Sonia and the new lady, that's how I feel about this logo. So, And, it, and I'm kneeling during the anthem until they change this back. I'm protesting. <laughs> All the terrible things going on in this country. The Chiefs and the Jets have the same thing going on. It's like that effect in PowerPoint when you're taking away the picture and it's like whoosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wiping you know? it off. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I was a beast on PowerPoint. <laughs> Only A I ever got in my, in my high school career, I think, was on PowerPoint. PowerPoint. It's about earthquakes. Oh. <laughs> 
That's a, did you have to do like history of earthquakes? <laughs> the or? Of, you're well, getting good at this, dude. Yeah, but look, see how interested he acted when I said earthquakes. <laughs> but like natural disasters is kind of a cool like. Well, to, to be specific, there was an earthquake in Missouri of all places that was like off the charts on the Richter scale. Mm -hmm. I can't remember exactly where it was, but Miss Petros gave me a 106. <laughs> Talk about a fucking. Uh, you know, uh, a sympathy 106. That's a sympathy 106 yeah. there. All my grades are like a <laughs> 60 all year, and then I get a 106. So the other day, yeah, two NFL Hall of Famers, one commented on the credentials of another. Yeah. We had one of them on our show, and, and he talked about how nice it was to have the first guy welcome him into the Hall of Fame. We're talking about Tony Baselli and Bruce Smith. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Smith questioned... Tony Baselli's uh, Hall of Fame resume, if he really deserved it, uh, Bruce did he, Smith. Did he though? Did he question it? You know what I mean? He, like, yeah. So he's because the quotes I thought I saw, the way I thought it went was Bruce put out a statement. Tony Baselli, who people don't know, was in the, the league like six, eight years, mm -hmm. uh, but he was a dominant tackle for the Jaguars. And one of the things that probably to Bruce Smith's uh, chagrin. Uh, factors into him getting into the Hall of Fame has been his record against, you know, maybe the best pass rusher of all time. Right. And there was a 1996 playoff game that's become like famous mm -hmm. where Baselli, I guess, locked Bruce Smith down. That's what they say. Mm -hmm. I'll get back to, you know, the dangers of saying things like that in a minute or two. But I think the, the thing that Bruce takes issue with specifically is not Baselli getting into the Hall of Fame, unless I missed a quote, but more so the fact that that one game is being used to bolster so heavily his Hall of Fame resume. Exactly. He also, so the whole quote, the Hall of Fame is an exclusive fraternity that follows a, a code of conduct which fosters respect and brotherhood between its members. Given the opportunity, any Hall of Famer could use his credentials to boast about his dominance over another member. But such behavior is deemed inappropriate because of the friction and discord it could create within the group. Maintaining harmony and goodwill in the Hall of Fame is paramount, and it is precisely why player campaigns have historically been presented respectfully and thoughtfully, allowing the candidate's stats and complete body of work to speak resoundingly for itself. Resorting to underhanded tactics like targeting a Hall of Famer and hyping a one-game matchup to bolster a, nomine, a nominee's merit, as some of Tony's supporters have done, undermines the integrity of the Hall's election process. So in addition to him saying that that one game was too overused in yeah, Tony's, yeah. Tony's nomination process, uh, he also said Tony playing with the left-handed quarterback in Mark Brunell, he wasn't protecting Mark Brunell's blind side. Yeah. And, and, and that's doing the very thing, this is where, you know, I'm not with him, is that like, although he has a point on the one game thing, mm -hmm. like, we should not use one matchup to bolster somebody. I mean, unless he's got everything else and, and you know, you're on the fence about a guy and he holds up against one of the game's greatest ever on the other side of the field. Like, I just am not a big fan of using one game. Right. Uh, so I get that, and maybe he feels a little annoyed that it's been overblown. And there is a danger to just using, like, shorthand phrases like lockdown Bruce Smith in 1996. By all accounts, he put him in a straitjacket. But, like, as a rusher, and I'm sure as a receiver or a corner, sometimes we oversimplify and overboil down how a matchup went down right. because of a stat. You know, right. there were games where I dominated a tackle and had no, no sacks. Right. Like more often than not, my best games, I had no sacks. I had like five hits, four pressures, whatever. So the point is, I get that part of it, but, but Bruce is making the point in order to keep, you know, house business in the house 
And ironically, house business is kind of getting out of the house as a result. So mm -hmm. like maybe let somebody else make that point. At the same time, these are like two adults at dinner and I'm trying to stay out of it because I'm nowhere near a Hall of Famer. Right. And I don't want to argue with these guys. It's also amazing that the biggest group of alpha males in the history of sports in America, like, and the alphas of the alphas have managed not to do this. Right. So Bruce, I agree in spirit, but it's kind of like, that's what's happening inadvertently here. Exactly. We're having some discord and friction. And while he says, you know, oh, he didn't protect his blind side, Baselli still went up against some of the best players in... I think he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. We had him on here. Mm -hmm. I, I was super psyched that Tony Baselli got in the Hall. And Bruce Smith is really freaking cool for a damn hokey. I met him in a right, bar right. once and he was so damn cool. And I don't think he's being... Well, I don't, I don't know what he's being. Right. But I, I'll just say this. Like, this hasn't gotten ugly. I hope it just doesn't get mm -hmm. ugly. I hope it's just you know, a statement and maybe Bruce feels the need to clarify at some point, or maybe he doesn't. And we just leave it at that because yeah. these are two of the games best ever. And I also thought there was a mutual respect between them and maybe there still is. And Bruce is trying to be nuanced, but I think like it kind of does what he's hoping doesn't happen. Right. And you know, when Baselli was on, um, in February, uh, he talked about how it was great. He didn't have, you know, much of a, uh, relationship with Bruce Smith when they played, yeah. But then when he went to the hall, when it was announced, yep. Bruce Smith welcomed him on yep. stage and announced Hey, him. play that clip, Reed. Walking on the stage at honors, Bruce Smith introducing me amazing. was cool as amazing. In 96, we're playing the Bills in the playoffs. They're, they have four Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers on their roster. Bruce Smith was defensive MVP. Yeah. And here we are, Kevin Gilbride, the offense coordinator at the time, basically looked at me and says, you're going to block Bruce Smith today or on Sunday. I'm like, and that's it. Like, that's all you could come up with. And all the hundred hours of meetings you guys have as coaches, like <laughs> <laughs> you're trusting me. And so, and I remember watching film on him as all of us do. And I watched every game that year and no one had balked him. Like he was just wrecking havoc, just killing people. And I remember walking out going like, here we go. We're going to find out whether you belong or not. And we battled. It was yeah. just a crazy one-on-one -on -one battle. And and we bat we had a bunch we played a few more times in the in, in throughout his career and and we didn't have any relationship yeah. like i like for a while like he wouldn't even answer questions about me that's wild and uh and and so we had no relationship so like you can imagine when i came out i had no idea who was introducing me at honors no clue yeah like because every other hall of famer like someone played from their organization yep. is in the hall of fame like there's no jaguars right. like there's no one else and so I had no idea what they were going to do. So I walk out and it's Bruce Smith. And I'm like, okay, this is really damn cool, first yeah. of all. And probably one of my favorite moments is he comes up on stage afterwards and all, with all the other Hall of Famers. And he came and gave me a big hug and said, welcome to the team. Welcome right. to Hall of Fame. So Tony Baselli, five Pro Bowls, three first team All Pros, uh, member of the 1990s All-Decade team. Uh, 91 career games. So a little yeah, light, you know, incredible. I mean, we mentioned it only, you know, a, a couple year career, well, more than a couple years, but shorter career, but impactful yeah. when he played. It was, he was incredible. A la, you know, um, Sterling Sharp or Terrell, yeah, Terrell Davis. Davis, shooting star kind of player. In the last point, Baselli does have the, the backing of Anthony Munoz, Walter, mm -hmm. a couple of the other like game's best tackles. I don't think anybody's arguing that he should be in. Hopefully, I think Bruce. What Bruce is saying is he he's probably tired of hearing it. Mm -hmm. And right, I just right. think when you put it out in a statement, if somebody asked Bruce and pinned him down here, 
that's the thing about quotes. Right. You know, like how did the quote come about is such an interesting and, and often like left out piece of context. When you see a quote or you read a story, make sure you know how the quote came about because if somebody was hammering Bruce on this thing and he told the truth about how he felt, that's one thing, but if you put out a statement, that's another. Exactly. The other day, a lot of security guards in the Oracle Arena in the Bay Area yeah. were fooled yeah. by fake Clay Thompson. Yeah. Um, he went through, made it through security. He's not going to the court. Death Star, dude. That's right, and he made it all the way down, and then he airballed a layup, and that was uh, that was the final. Everyone was like, "Wait a minute, this guy doesn't quite belong." And uh, so, does that give you the idea? And I'm going to steal this from Matt, but does that give you the idea uh, to maybe sneak into Larry Nance's? Next, next <laughs> I was, game. I was, I didn't know where you guys were gonna go with that, but uh, maybe, yeah, I could, I could be Larry Nance, like Larry Nance that got run over by a steamroller. <laughs> like, uh, I, I was thinking of maybe a white DN that I've been compared to right. for years. I feel like I should at least be able to steal one of those guys' identity one day. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Max Crosby's playing a little well, um, and and Bosa's a little bit too muscular. But maybe there's somebody else that I could like steal their identity. What's amazing to me is that the way they made it sound was like it was kind of like a sequel to a movie a little yeah. bit, uh, where the first film it was easy. You got into Oracle, it was like a fucking you know it's a warehouse. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been right. to a game at Oracle. It's like it's like concrete, very <laughs> concrete, uh, like a lot of those California stadiums, like super low tech. So that was easy for homeboy to get in there, but it was like Top Gun two for this cat going to chase like right. probably in his meetings they were like listen this is a suicide mission you might come back you might never be able to go to a warriors game again you might lose your ten thousand dollar tickets are you willing to do this and then he strolled right by the fucking tsa lady yeah which is also amazing because it's a big no-no to wear your issued gear like to the mall and that sort of thing as a pro athlete we used to make fun of guys if they were out and about in like their team issued gear and imagining that Clay Thompson or a Clay Thompson impersonator could just walk in the side door in his full warm up off the street makes me think Clay Thompson's walked in into the stadium before in his like warm up gear, which would right, be a right, major right. code break in my yeah. opinion. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. And not wear like the threads that get posted before the game. Yeah. You know, Russell Westbrook's walking in. You can wear a Russell Westbrook trash bag. Right. Which, but, but don't wear your issued gear right, in because right. that means you were out and about like telling you're seven feet tall. Everybody knows you play basketball. And honestly, Clay Thompson, I feel like he would be one to wear the team issue gear. Not, in, a, not so. in a wrong way, but because like he's all business. I'm going to show up. And I don't need. I don't want to waste time changing. I'm going to show up in what I'm going to warm up in, and then let's get to business. Clay Thompson seems like one of the best players in the NBA that picks the top T-shirt yep. off the thing. Yep. You know, I don't know who else those guys would be, but Clay Thompson's probably up there. But this guy's remarkable and seems like a fucking great guy too. Like watching his YouTube thing, mm-hmm. he seems like a fun guy. He has fans, you and, know, and the Uber guy thinking that he was legitimately Clay Thompson right. is the most predictable shit of all time. It, this happened to me in Vegas. I'm not Clay Thompson by any stretch, but like I'm in the car with this guy and he's a huge Eagles fan. He's telling me all about the Eagles. And in fact, he has a nephew that plays for the Eagles. <laughs> and like, I'm just going on in this conversation about, hey, I think they could win nine, 10 games this year. The whole thing, like he loved the Super Bowl run, everything about it. And I was like, damn, I really didn't play much, huh, buddy? <laughs> but you know, it's if like- If you had put the dog Uber mask guys. on, yeah, then he would exactly. be like, oh, hey, Chris yeah, Long, yeah, all right. Exactly, hey, hey, I get it now. I think more people know what that mask looks like right, than right. my face, which is great. Yeah. 
pretty easy talking football in the green light pod. I feel pretty good about that. Knowledge level, 9 out of 10, at least. Some days, 10 out of 10. Contrast it with my ability to code a website, to design a website, to execute a website, to put it out into the World Wide Web, I'm like a 0 out of 10. And we need a website at the Green Light Pod. Can't just do football segments. So that's where somebody like Fiverr comes in. You know, we found the people that executed all those tasks on Fiverr, real life. That's what happened. And this was my first time batting a thousand. And we love it. The website's awesome. It's live and it's powered by Fiverr. Uh, here are the, the great things about Fiverr. You can find what you're looking for instantly. It's easy. Customize your search by service, deadline, price, seller reviews, and more. No more guessing games. You know what you're paying for up front. And that's what I like. No negotiation needed. Pricing is always project-based, not hourly. I like that too. 24-7 customer service. Reach out with questions anytime, anywhere. You can find a freelancer with specific skills you need for your next project. Check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code GREENLIGHT. Find all the digital services you need in one place at Fiverr.com. F-I-V-E-R-R.com. Code GREENLIGHT. Again, it's Fiverr.com. Code GREENLIGHT. Let's get it on, dude. Let's get it on. So Let's get it on. We're doing best movie scene dinners, best dinner movie scenes uh, from films where you're throwing in comedies, dramas, Dramedies. dark movies, not dark movies. Porn. Nope, didn't do that. But should have we should have looked into that. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> I can do some research. Yeah, okay, you can. Horny Celtics fan. He's <laughs> pent up aggression. <laughs> And uh, you threw it out on Twitter. We got some great responses. So we thank the people. But thank the um, people. as we mentioned earlier, we all kind of came with our lists that we had even before yeah. we were looking up Ranker. And we, we, we have a good good base knowledge in yeah, this kind of thing. Yeah, dude, th- I think we do. I mean, I'm no, I, I like to always level set expectations, kind of like Matt did with Top Gun, uh, except I'm, you know, like, I'm just, I'm not a, a, a movie buff. I haven't mm-hmm. seen Casablanca, guys. You know? Um, huh. so yeah, what you have? No, okay. but <laughs> we're not movie buffs right, here. Right, so we're going to say some things and somebody's going to be like, yeah, what in, about this in movie? 1984, there right. was this like this dinner scene. I, I don't know. I know what I know. And I'm going to give you my top five to the best of my ability. I'm going to let y'all two start. Are we though, doing top three or top, just top? Let's just do I think just top five. You want to just do top five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing we've been struggling with. So, you know, looking behind the curtain is uh comedies like do you put them in the same do we do all movies do we want to break it down into different genres you know that kind of thing i feel pretty strongly about this like the golden globes breaks it down like drama comedy okay and i think that's bullshit the academy awards it's like one thing is best picture and it can be a comedy like comedies for some reason are second class citizens in the film world and i'm not here for it or maybe they're first class and fucking everything else is in coach you know, a good comedy, that's hard to come by, especially right. nowadays. I Harder feel to like. make than a hard good to be drama funny. in some mm-hmm. ways. So we'll do everybody's top five. Yeah. Um, we just want to roll through each of our top fives or yeah, we want to throw I think, out a I bunch of I think so. I think so. And then we can talk about some of the ones that didn't make the cut. Cool. You know? Um, we might have some overlap. We might not. And let me ask you something. If there are two dinner scenes, I know the answer. 
But if there are two dinner scenes in a movie, I got to choose one, huh? I know what you movie just, you're talking about. I don't know. I, I know for sure. I'll just come out and say it. Goodfellas is the movie you're thinking of, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, you're thinking of Goodfellas because you got the prison scene. Tree onions. Tree onions. The guy's cutting <laughs> it with a fucking razor, dude, which yep. I really want to try that at home. It just melts into the oil, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Honestly, that scene may, makes me want to go to prison. <laughs> Only if you're in the mob, though. The right, rest yeah, because the rest together. of them, yeah, oh, yeah. It's such a bad, it's such a bad, inaccurate depiction of what it what it would be like to go to right. prison. But honestly, I see why those guys were not afraid to go to prison. Right, they mafia had it, guy. They were good. I don't want to get whacked. Right, but I'm just saying. I used to be like, damn, they are so they're so brave. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they're not snitching or they're just like whacking people left and right. Like they're not right. afraid of going to prison. That's because they were in there and the food's better in prison than it is out of prison, right. dude. You're yeah, just hanging it, out with your friends. Right. At the end, didn't you have to eat uh, uh, noodles with ketchup? But yeah, in, dude, yes. in, in prison he's, he's yes. rocking, it's, you know, fresh grated all yes, that stuff. Yes, dude. So. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. To make my point. The other dinner scene is is a better scene. Is that I, where I agree? Just because okay. the whole they come from literally like murdering people. They show up at like midnight or so. Some wild hour. Uh, Joe Pesci's mother is like, "Yeah, come on in. I'll serve you. Boom, boom, boom. Serving food left and right. Just slang and mood." And they're just laughing. And this mom is like, "Look at my great son and her great friends, not knowing there's blood all over their." She hands. doesn't see well, right? And she <laughs> right. wants to believe he's good, right? That's why it didn't bother her at all. Uh, that he said he had to cut the deer's paws off. Right. Like that was the yeah. fucking, that was the alibi. That was a funny ass dinner. We'll get into that because I'm pretty sure. Bro, I love that scene so much. The only piece of artwork in my house is that little painting that the mom looks at. I ordered that offline. No, you did not. <laughs> I swear to okay, God. Okay, because. And that actress is uh, Martin Scorsese's mom in real life. Martin Scorsese, excuse me. Oh, really? Yep. So it's so funny because she. Yeah, she she was she was just playing herself probably, minus the fact that Martin Scorsese or how are we? I want to make sure we Scorsese. Okay, that is correct. Fuck it, we'll do it live. Martin Scorsese, he didn't whack anybody, but she's probably like the same person in real life, which is cool, and it came across. But the thing that was so bugged out to me was that the painting was sitting right next to the table, like she just is holding that painting there. It's leaning up against the dinner table. I she pulled it, it right out, dude. Yeah, she's been like working on her art at home, basically. But I didn't see her carry that painting into the room. Was it just leaning against the table? Is that what we're to believe? She was like, have you seen my painting? Here's I think the painting. So. might be a flaw. There's a also a sloppy cut there. If you go back and watch the movie, there's a really sloppy edit, like a, a cut from one one uh, frame to the next. There are a few errors in that film, but it's one that when I first made it all the way to the end, it was like you stood up and couldn't believe what just happened. Yeah, well, we're cutting hairs here. So we're cutting onions. Mm -hmm. We're cutting onions, we're, that's right. We're not crying, but we have to pick one one dinner scene from the film. Yeah? Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. Okay. I have. Yep. Okay. You want me to give my five first and then read you Five to next? one. Yeah, yeah, Matt. Right. Roll five, five to one. All right, so fifth... Is one from my childhood. Used to make me laugh so hard. The Nutty Professor scene where Eddie Murphy's playing all the different roles, eating like extremely unhealthy food. Uh, that scene never ceases to crack me up. It's also Eddie Murphy playing like everybody. Yeah, except the one kid. Eddie Murphy's yeah. literally doing every single Couldn't role. Couldn't play the kid. And that was a great movie. Had a good run. 
Was he in Flubber as well? Yeah, for sure. I know he, Eddie Murphy's done a lot more than just Flubber. <laughs> I just want you to know that. Flubber's a great movie. I love I was like 10 years old watching Flubber. That was a Robin Williams running around. That yeah, was a good movie. Dude. You were just like, what does that Flubber feel like? Right, what exactly. What does it feel like? I want a little Flubber thing. Yeah, dude. But that's a great scene. All right. At fourth, I'm going Pulp Fiction, the scene at Jack Rabbit Slims where John Travolta takes Uma Thurman to the 50s diner and they win the dance contest. Classic scene. So that's my only dance move. And I think subconsciously it came from John Travolta in that scene. You could do worse than that. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, at three, I'm going to take Meet the Parents, just the most awkward, painful <laughs> dinner ever with the... Can you milk me? Yeah, <laughs> I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? And then with finishing with the like um, champagne toast that hits the urn. That's just an all-time <laughs> classic. So... I can can I ask y'all a question? Do you think that that prayer is ad libbed? I, I want to say I want to hope that it is. I wonder that, and and it's funny because I think honestly I love the movie. I think it's one of the comedies that aged the best from that time period. Like that is a just a drop dead funny movie. But I don't think that scene's as great as I remembered it. Now that's almost sacrilege, but I think um, the best line in the whole thing is uh, Jews don't pray. <laughs> yeah, for sure and then from there on like it's it's the prayer is hilarious and i wondered the same thing about um talladega nights i wondered if will ferrell's grace was just off the dome knowing how they knowing how will ferrell and adam mckay shoot those movies i think that it was because they how they do that kind of time period of those like back to back the anchormans and the the ricky bobbies right. and those movies it would be adam mckay sitting in a chair basically with a microphone and shouting out like things off the top of his head. Right. Will Ferrell also like taking, there's a lot of playing back and forth, John C. Riley. So there's no more of that. Right, no more. But uh, yeah, in that thing, I think it was like a lot of just like shooting right off. You, you know, they, they say, hey, we're going to roll. It's going to be a 10 minute scene. Yeah. Just go from, the, go from the top. It's incredible. Like that's like white guy freestyling. Mm -hmm. You know, like I would watch <laughs> Will Ferrell I would, I would, I would seed a podcast. Not that I have the money to do it, where it's just, hey, Will, I like what you did in Talladega Nights when you did the whole Grace thing. Mm -hmm. I know it was off the dome. We're gonna do a series of podcasts where you just say Grace for forty-five minutes an episode. <laughs> I would watch that continually. I think it was a genius scene. No spoilers on my top five, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, shout out. Sweet. Um, for my second, I'm gonna go to my favorite movie ever, which is Goodfellas. But I am going to do the prison dinner scene not the scene with uh tommy's mom and the reason why is it's just one of the greatest scenes of all time like the cutting the garlic super thin so it dissolves in the pan there's like this whole scene of like mobsters in prison with lobsters being delivered to them by the guard it's just like it doesn't get any better than that in that movie for me all sandwiches time. yeah yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> and they bring in wine and bread yeah. it's just amazing it's like now we can what eat. do we have to do what do we have to do to, to have prison be like that for us? Because I'll go tomorrow, dude. <laughs> Got to join the mob and do a year for contempt like Polly. <laughs> we could do a podcast from <laughs> Fellas Prison. Cooking podcast. Right, right. A cooking podcast. But if there was food like that, I could probably do an evening. It wouldn't be a problem. And then number one, I think, is one of the best scenes in the history of movies, regardless if food, or is, invo food is involved or not. It's uh, when... Michael Corleone goes to yeah. Louis' restaurant in the Bronx to avenge his father. And 
goes to the bathroom in the famous scene, comes out. It's just like an incredible sound where you hear the metro train going by or the elevated train going by. They're speaking in Italian, but there's no subtitles. So like you're kind of confused and panicked just like mm -hmm. Michael is in that moment. And then he kills Salazzo and McCluskey, just one of the greatest scenes of all time. Incredible scene because it was kind of like um, Michael was like losing his virginity as a gangster. And you could see like every like minute of that was just such a strain on him, even though he had every right in his mind and by his code to do it, like the not being able to find the gun, right? Like you said, the noise, it was just so perfect. The Italian, it was like dizzying. And then when he got back out there, his eyes were like bolting around. Al Pacino is just an unbelievably <laughs> amazing actor. Him not getting picked in the Short Kings draft was a travesty. Yeah, I know. We just didn't want to be too chalky. It was like somebody said, why didn't you do Napoleon? Like, okay, do Napoleon, then make that interesting. You know? <laughs> it's like they say short complex. Napoleon complex. <laughs> like, well, no, I'm not drafting him. But yeah, anyways, uh, hard to argue with that one. And then like even the fact that he shot him all sloppy. Like he was just mm -hmm. fucking nervous, dude. Yeah, and then he doesn't like drop the gun exactly as he's been told, all that. I love mm -hmm. it. And actually right after that scene, they have the newspaper montage. Like that's one of the best scenes too. Great movie, obviously. Hard to argue with that one. I feel like that might be... Uh... That's a solid number one. Read. Five, number five. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, Richard Dreyfus is making mountain mashed potatoes, and he's carving valleys and peaks and all that stuff, and he's just going, and you can see his wife, his kid's like, wow, you can play with your food? This is sick. It, like That's what he's saying in his head, and his wife's like, oh my God, I can't believe he's actually biting again. Richard Dreyfus is just getting lost in the literal sauce. He's got such a Jaws face in this yeah, movie. Oh, yeah. So Richard Dreyfus eating milky mashed potatoes. Think about aliens. Think about scene. aliens and then carving the the tower. I can't remember the name of the tower, but the tower where he realizes that that's where the aliens are. So I've be. never seen the movie. It is a wonderful movie. Really? Yep. Really, really okay. good. Good. Um, it's on the list. Number four, Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers. That mo that dinner scene is erroneous. <laughs> the uh, the droppers drop putting the droppers in when everyone's heads bowed. Um, the uh, OTPHJ mm -hmm. um, where she gets a little frisky and uh, just the entire the the grandma just going nuts so, I, and the the butler yeah. the butler just kind of keeping yeah. everything moving. Yeah. Um, that that entire movie. Uh, we have a stage five clinger, a virgin clinger. Yeah. There's sayings that yeah. came from that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a lot of those comedies, early 2000s, when you go back and watch these YouTube clips, you're like, damn, that's where we started saying that, huh? Oh, Mr. Environmental is also a hunter? Yeah. It's quail, Jeremy. They're overpopulated in this area. Maryland crab uh, cakes, crab and, cakes football. and football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just think they got care. I think that scene gets carried by a bigoted grandmother. I think she's got the whole team on her back. It's, you know, it's breaking from from how much she's carrying that scene. And in principle, I think it was just so easy to execute that. Just get an old lady and get her to say to tell gay jokes. I'm not saying I'm too. You know, like it was a time and a place in comedy, and people were doing this stuff more often. But uh, I just, yeah, I'm uh, I'm saying saying knowing that. Yeah. Number three, I'm going Step Brothers. 
we're battling over who's going to dominate the household. Mm-hmm. And then the parents are like, oh my God, this is what it's going to be like? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And the best is he's wearing a raglan t-shirt, three quarters, and he has his blue Gatorade or Powerade or whatever in his cup. And they're messing around with like little kid food. I, that must have been one of the most fun movies to make your your uh, Will Ferrell and John C. Riley, and you get to act like 15-year-olds. Oh, dude, incredible. And honestly, the movie took on a new meaning once I actually had kids. Right. It is insane to me that that movie was as funny when I didn't have kids. It's like unlocking a new level at this point. Like, I watch my kids have conversations like, uh, what is the fancy sauce? Oh, Like that fancy yeah. sauce thing? <laughs> is straight out of my dinner table, dude. Uh, and then the whole like, hey, what are you doing now, Dale? He's like, right. I'm managing a baseball team. <laughs> it's, like, it's fantasy. And uh, uh-huh. It's like, super timeless humor. That movie's aged way better than a lot of other comedies. Mm-hmm. It so has. It's aged better than old school. It's aged better than No Offense to Wedding Crashers. Yeah. It's aged, like you name it. It's aged better than Anchorman. I, I have a hot take that Anchorman has not aged that well. But um, hey, question. On Step Brothers with dinner, yep. before I get to my list here, mm-hmm. it's a good time to ask it. Are you counting uh, boats and hoses as a dinner? Yes, that okay. is a dinner. Okay, so good. take that. Dinner. For Great. sure, that is okay. definitely a dinner. I'm not um, playing my cards. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number two, the Django Unchained dinner scene where Calvin Candy slams uh, slams his hand on the table, and everyone knows in real life he actually like cut his hand and he kept acting and that blood was real. That's true. That scene was awesome. They're they're trying to play against each other. They're trying to get out of there without Calvin Candy realizing yep. the whole thing, and yep. he realizes and it culminates with uh, with him demanding a handshake afterwards, which ultimately gets him murdered. But I didn't know the thing about the real blood. Leonardo DiCaprio was so into his character, he was slamming his hand on the table, slamming the skull. Right. He cuts his hand, it starts bleeding. Like, that's not in the script. A that's too not, into his character. Yeah, yeah, and, but yeah. everyone, like, they let him roll on the scene, like, keep rolling, and then they gave him a standing ovation when, when he finished, because he literally, like, severed, like, parts of his hand. God damn, um, dude. And was just bleeding all over the place, and that was that was also real. a spooky place to cut yourself. Oh, very yeah, yeah. and right keep, just to, to keep rolling, know, like maybe yeah. you know, should I stop, everybody? Uh, number one, Mrs. Doubtfire, the scene where Robin Williams is running back and forth between the characters um, and uh, has to do the Heimlich, and then everyone realizes I that scene, that movie, my favorite scene probably like one of my favorite most favorite scenes in movie history is or in any movie i've seen is the uh uh vacuum scene yeah, when robin williams that, yeah. oh it's such a good scene oh, dude, i that's love some that good movie. wholesome robin williams dude it's so good so like how amazing is robin williams that, and you see the the problems people are having wrapping their heads around things today uh robin williams did like a whole movie in drag yeah yeah, I mean, and, I know it's not in drag, but like it's disguised as a woman, and people right. were like, "Let's t- like nobody batted an eye." No, yeah, Robin no problem. Williams is America's, you know. Yep. He also did a movie as a gay man in Birdcage, yep. which was and one of my honorable the, mentions. All the scenes. people that probably have a big issue with a lot of stuff today had no problem because it was Robin Williams, right? <laughs> Robin Williams <laughs> is like a cheat code, dude. By the way, Hook's not going to make my list. Honorable mention. Honorable mention on on uh, Hook, man. I. My whole childhood, I grew up wanting to eat that stuff they were eating. Right. Rufio. Rufio. (laughs) Also, Rufio is the perfect villain. Rufio, I got, I think I got knocked out by a kid that looked like Rufio in basketball camp when I was a kid. (laughs) 
uh outside la dude i went to like i guess maybe a little bit tougher of a basketball camp than my parents thought it was gonna be <laughs> or maybe they and uh, this kid that looked like rufio absolutely decked me i had ice on my face and everything um but what what does he say you don't know what a paraceum is yep i'll tell you what a paraceum <laughs> is it's a one one cell organism uh a one cell critter that can't fly or whatever it is but i love that scene if you ever have some time and you're on youtube Robin Williams on Johnny Carson is just unbelievable. Chris, yeah. five through one. Five through one, fuck me running. Okay, so I have a hot take. The Talladega Nights uh, dinner is tremendous and all that with the prayer, um, but is the Applebee's dinner better? Uh, yes, agreed. Because I think it might be. I think so too. Maybe yeah, it's because yes. I identify with Will Ferrell's dad so fucking much. Right, 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 like right, right, I am right. allergic to things going well. Yeah. And that whole scene like just conveyed that affliction so well. I just had to blow it up. I just had to blow it up. I mean like No, I don't think you did, darling. His face <laughs> as she was like, Let's do this every week on right. Thursday. Have a family dinner, same time, the whole thing, and he his face was just like and then and then there was something about every Tuesday and he's like, Fuck me, dude. This is just too much. This is too much feel good, it's too much commitment, it's too much stability. I love when he gets out into the road and he puts one thumb out and yeah. then he flips the other one uh -huh. the other way. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, anyway. has rats. <laughs> <laughs> I mean uh Gary Cole's that actor, he's amazing. My best my favorite scene in that movie though is when he finally pick up picks up the tickets and then he's like, Who needs two? Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. He's just through and through him, dude. He was yeah. a great character. But I'd probably say that Talladega Nights, the you know, if I'm being honest. The quotables from that prayer have to put it in my top five. Where it's yeah. going to go, I don't know. I'm just talking this out. And I want to put Old Boy in my top five really <laughs> badly, dude. Old Boy, I have not seen the movie, but I was just made aware of this. Either uh, of them. I haven't seen either of them. Old Boys. Right. Old Boy. Uh, can you tell me what's going on in that scene? I'll tell you what drew me to the scene. Somebody said a guy in Old Boy ate an octopus. Mm -hmm. Like a real octopus. Which I didn't know it was a Korean film first and then because yeah. i've seen the josh brolin one doesn't have the octopus scene oh i get what you were but, saying because there is a yeah. josh brolin one and it's the same plot i'm i'm pretty certain yeah. i haven't seen the, yeah. but it's based off of the korean the funny movie. thing it's about was earlier he was like i've seen old boy and i was showing him the the the, the scene yeah. where buddy's eating the octopus and fucking weird sunglasses yeah yeah uh and all the subtitles and reads like this doesn't look like the Josh Brolin. I was old waiting boy. for Josh Brolin. The first minute I was waiting for Josh Brolin to walk in, Quite and then the different movie. two minutes in, I was like, oh, "Wait a minute!" So was that controversial to to eat an octopus like that? It was a little bit when they won the grand prize at Cannes. They thanked the octopus that died. <laughs> uh, he actually had to do it four times, Ugh. so he actually ate four different octopus. Codes, octopi, dude. octopi, yeah, and so that wasn't a, that wasn't one of those movies where at the end it says like no octopi were harmed. No, they were. They, they, they were they all harmed. They killed four live ones. <laughs> four octopi, dude. That's a crazy movie. By that the way. actor deserves all the awards. And so, if you were that act, are you having your stunt double eat those octopi? Dog, I want if I'm gonna be in a movie like that, like yeah, yeah. I want people you want to the remember recognition. me. Yeah, like yeah. I want real actors to respect me. Nicolas Cage has a poster of old boy in his fucking True. in his man cave. And it's because you that guy eating, ate a real right. fucking octopus. And in the revenant, Leo ate a real liver rather than they gave him like a prosthetic one, but he said he didn't think it looked real, so he ate a real <laughs> liver. 
This fake Bro, liver doesn't that's, look that's like the real one. stuff compared to, to the guy in Old Boy. The <laughs> right. guy in Old Boy, the octopus was writhing. Okay, so five for me, I'm going to have to go with uh, Hannibal when the pigs got to eat. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I'm going to go with the pigs because I don't think animals get uh, represented enough on these lists. Um, I also, honorable mention, want to shout out Indiana Jones because when the crocodiles got to eat, that mm -hmm. was really dope. <laughs> uh, when they all all the all the men fell off the bridge, right? Uh, and and actually, remember we had Spencer Hall on recently, yep. and he was talking about the fact that that movie was made completely differently because Willie Nelson hooked up with uh, George Lucas's ex-wife or something. Yes, was that it? George Lucas's wife at the time, I think, and then that split him up. Well, Willie Nelson yes. was out there breaking hearts, and that's why Temple of Doom was mm -hmm. all fucking violent and right. shit. That's why you had people reaching into people's chest cavities. Right. You know, off the rip. So, um, yeah, Hannibal, because Gary Oldman, uh, just, do you remember Gary Oldman mm -hmm. was the guy in the wheelchair? Yep. Uh, and and, <laughs> and they, they pushed him in there, and Gary Oldman's like, you're doing this! And yeah. they're like, no, we're not. We're going to let the pigs eat you. <laughs> and uh, he moved less than the octopus. Dark joke. He's in a wheelchair. Do you remember the movie? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah, Ray Liotta's in that. Ray Liotta's in that too? R.I.P. So yeah, I want to shout out the Boars. Um, four, I'll go Step Brothers. I'm going to go um, with the Boats and Hose scene. The Boats and Hose scene is, is iconic. Like, they, they did they a song take over the dinner. that gets stuck in people's heads. Right. You know, like, you know all the, the lines from this song. They take over the dinner. You want me to shut this down, D-Man? Like, you had D-Man. You had Rob Riggle. You had an iconic song. Yeah, Bomb it down the fairway. Yeah. As much as I like the other fucking dinner, this dinner's more iconic. And the dad the dad is, uh, that's my boat. What are you doing on my boat? What happened to the boat? And they're all like, shut up, shut up. Even though they know. <sighs> yep. And the dad was just had a huge blind spot for D-Man. Um, <laughs> he was like, when I'm making love to your mom, I'm thinking about the fact that, uh, you know, we made you or whatever it was. It was a really funny fucking scene, dude. So I'll put that at four. I'll go three. I'll go Goodfellas, but I'm going, I'm going the the scene in, at the uh, mom at the mom's house. mom's house. And then two, I'm gonna go Talladega Nights. I am. I think I'm gonna give it. God, this is gonna be a hot take. Yeah. You think the people are gonna kill me for this? We'll see. Applebee's is funnier. I, I'm I just think saying so. it is because 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 the first one he just carries it the worst right. part about that scene is people interrupting him and there's yeah. some great actors and actresses and kids in that scene but they should have just let will ferrell go off the dome for 47 minutes <laughs> the best dinner scene is talladega nights at applebee's mm -hmm. let me flip-flop that because i don't want to get good fella i don't want to get whacked for this put good fellas at two okay <laughs> going mob heavy talladega at three and then one i'm going godfather i'm going godfather it's just why why overthink this if you were ranking your your top five NFL quarterbacks, right. people are putting Tom Brady one. Mm -hmm. That is the Tom Brady of of dinner scenes. That's dude. right. It, you know, it's a great film and it's a great scene. It's yeah. Yeah, I put that one and yeah. then figured everything else out. That was a no brainer for me. Now I will say, you know, Scary Movie deserves a shout out. <laughs> I think oh, it's yeah. Scary Movie three or one of the fucking scary movies, but the take my strong hand guy <laughs> and uh, him just mixing up the mashed potatoes and sodomizing the turkey. <laughs> that was funny as shit. Here's my hot take. That dinner is better than the wedding crashers dinner. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Go back and watch it, dude. It's funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I That's thought really one of you guys was going to take pineapple express. Pineapple no, express was good. Yeah. You knew all the lines, dude. I'm going to get my gun. <laughs> I'm coming back with a gun. <laughs> well, the funny part about that was, 
she was like, are you fucking high? Like, are you high? And as usual, the high guy's not high. He's telling the truth. You right. know, like he was on to it. the high guy, man. So yeah, Pineapple Express deserves a mention. I'm not high. Let's go. Yeah, I'm not high. I'm Let's leading go. this train. Was that, uh, who was the actress? Why did I think Amber Heard was in that movie? It's the girlfriend. It is Amber yeah, Heard. it is. And then I want to shout out House Party 3 as well. <laughs> uh, That's a good call. My mama dead. Now I got to <laughs> cut you. That's the rule. <laughs> That's the fucking funniest line. And by the way, somebody the other night was talking shit about Bernie Mac on uh, Twitter. Yeah, that was rude. Well, no, it was calculated. They, that person uh, definitely knew they were going to get You think they wanted the engagement? Flamed. Yes, dude. That's funny. There's no way somebody's like, prove to me right here that Bernie Mac's funny. I went it, through that thread. It was super Yeah, funny. it's easy to oh, I was there prove. 45 minutes. I was watching YouTube of Bernie Mac, dude. I, I got great. another honorable mention. Okay, hit us with the honorable mentions, guys. Have you guys ever seen Whiplash? Yes, yes dude. There's that dinner scene where he gets all pissed off because the, they're all focused on the, like the Division Two football players, and he's <laughs> like, "I'm the best musician in the world." Our guy Miles Teller. I like that dinner scene. It's a great and, movie. And I don't dude. know if you guys saw some news from Top Gun today. Miles Teller said that he found jet fuel in his bloodstream while filming. He started to feel Damn. very sick. So I go to the set the next day and Tom Cruise is like, how did it go? I was like, well, Tom, it turns out I have jet fuel in my blood. Without even skipping a beat, Tom goes, yeah, I was born with it, kid. <laughs> what? That is a short king. Hey, that's the first pick of the short king draft, right. dude, right there for Kyle, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. That's, uh, that's Kyle's first pick, dude. Just And you, you, you mentioned Ratatouille, mm -hmm. you know, you mentioned... I'll you had a bunch of them here, but th these are the these are the heavy hitters, man. I'll throw out the Spaceballs scene at the diner at the end because it's a parody of Alien, and and he's going, oh no, not again! And then the alien jumps into a little song and dance. I haven't seen it. Ah, uh, you should watch Spaceballs. I don't know if you like it or not, but damn, yeah, is it good? I gotta watch that scene. Um, alien though is a great dinner scene. Yeah, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, awesome. Just Sigourney Weaver all yeah. of a sudden giving birth to an alien right. via the belly button, dude. <laughs> that was so jarring. So jarring. That's that was aggressive. It's such a a dark movie, dude. Yeah. You know it's a dark show. Ozark. All the f okay. No spoilers here. I'm almost <laughs> done with season whatever it is, but they never have the lights on. The right, I know. It's very, off. yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally a dark show. People are having business meetings with yeah. the lights off. Yep. It's overcast. They outside. are always in their house. Lights Sepia are off. Sepia tone. Yep. Uh, Getting one, pitched a, you know, a, a, a Ponzi scheme in sepia tone. Right. Last honorable mention, Hot Rod. Oh, y'all's movie catalogs, it's just so much. That, that, that Hot movie, Rod? Hot Rod, oh, you'd oh, love watch Hot Rod. You'd love Hot Rod. would be great. Nate would like Hot Rod. We should all watch Hot Rod. Hot Rod's my favorite movie. Really? Oh, yeah. Hot all Rod's right, let's awesome. let's watch Hot Rod. What? Uh, uh, I heard what you said. I just, yeah, it was just really mean. I love that he loves the movie so much. He's like, this fucker hasn't seen it. I'm rifling lines at him. See if he you'll reacts. geek out. There's a scene you'll geek out. He's doing stunts to make a bunch of money to yeah. save his uh, stepfather's heart to get him a transplant so he can beat him up yeah. and prove he's a man. And there's one scene where he, he uh, does stunts for a corporate retreat and uh, someone puts a, a washing machine, puts it on a forklift and it swings down and hits him and he's wrapped in like a mattress 
and the scene he's like talking 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 to like these people and then it just cuts to him with a helmet and a mattress and then a uh, a washing machine swings down and just pummels him what's and he flies the purpose it's just for it's for the movie to make money yeah 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 his stepfather the whole movie he is a stepfather yeah he's a stepbrother and they're yeah. good friends but his stepfather doesn't respect him and so he's like i have to fight my stepfather to earn his respect and beat him and uh he keeps getting beat by the stepfather beat by the stepfather and then it turns out the stepfather's gonna get a heart transplant and andy samory's like well shit now my stepdad isn't strong enough so it, uh, beating him now doesn't matter and so the stepdad's like i'm gonna die the yeah, champion it's like fucking finally beating the bulls and yeah. jordan's not there yeah anymore. yeah and then so andy samory's like i'm gonna raise a ton of money get you a new heart and kick your ass yeah so he has to do all these things he goes he lights himself Spoilers, on fire man i know yeah but he just told me he's gonna. We're gonna watch the movie. You'll shit, love it, dude. Uh, I mean, um, what's the hardest guy, you've ever laugh? Who's my guy? Your guy, Danny McBride, is in it. Oh, really? And boy, does he nearly steal the damn thing. Really? Yes. As he would. What? Okay. So, what's the hardest you've ever laughed at a movie? It was in, at Hot Rod. Okay, spoiler, but it is the hot rod scene where Andy Samberg gets sent down on a uh, gets sent down the hill testing speed yes. on a longboard. Yes. He goes, whiskey, whiskey, bam. <laughs> okay. It doesn't seem like a movie that, that you can spoil. Yeah. No, no, no. That's it's right. Awesome. I'll tell you what. I laughed really hard one night at MacGruber, <laughs> like really hard the first time I ever saw MacGruber, really hard, embarrassingly hard, but that is a funny fucking movie. And then James Franco, um, what's the one where he acts like an actor? He's acting like a real actor. With dark oh, hair. Uh, um, Tommy, dude. disaster artist. Disaster artist. Yeah, yeah. I laughed so hard at that movie. <laughs> it was insane, dude. And then Northman is up there for me. <laughs> yeah. At the end of Northman, I had to run out of that motherfucker. The comedy Northman. People thought I was weeping because the movie was so good. I was crying, <laughs> laughing at the Northman. Ah. Reed, let's end the show with your fucking... With your planet rankings. Let's we were gonna rank the planets and we ran out of time. So I think I think Reed should rank the planets. So I'm gonna rank my planets. Here are my planet rankings, eight to one, not counting Pluto, unfortunately. Eight, Mercury. It has no moons, barely an atmosphere. It's smaller than two moons in the in the solar system. Uh, it looks like a battlefield with all of its craters. Bro. It's like you know, eh. It's um it's also close to the sun. So it's probably really bright and it's not very fun. It's really, it's probably this ain't hot. This going to be good, dude. This Mercury at eight? Yeah, Mercury's at eight. Dude, Mercury uh, looks like the moon. Yeah. Small and close to the sun, which is cool. Right. It's ballsy. Yeah, but also like. It's like Danny Amendola. Mercury is Danny Amendola. <laughs> uh, I love Danny Amendola. it used Amendola, to be a bigger planet. So that's right? cool. Mystique, like what did it used to look like? And it's the coolest looking planet. That no, by no, 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 no. The, you'll hear the coolest okay. looking planet. Seven Mars, over talked about, over totally overrated. Everyone's like, oh, we're gonna do, like go to Mars. Oh, there's this door on Mars. No, it's not. There's no door on Mars. It's in all the movies, all the space movies. It's like talking about and it's Mars. It's ugly, and the yeah. movie with Matt Damon wasn't good. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it plus in so 50 million movie. years, uh, there's a, one of the one of Mars's moons is gonna crash into it wreck a bunch of havoc if you know like there's gonna think like nah, who hey, cares we're having an astronaut on soon right i'm gonna ask him, him. i mean he's who wants I'm gonna to give, live on that red ass planet right exactly dude. why would why are we stopping at mars why are we saying why are all the movies we're gonna go to mars why can't we pick a different planet Bro, let's I pick a different live in planet. arizona you think i'm gonna be able to live in mars arizona's awesome i'm um, sorry i can't <laughs> not enough trees dude you're right there aren't six venus has a cool color 
uh it's super hot 900 degrees fahrenheit so pass surrounded by clouds though yeah we don't so, really know what it looks like right those clouds are made of sulfuric acid though yeah well that's dangerous yeah it's got a right. little sulfuric i think it should acid. be so, lower i think yeah, venus yeah. should be lower plus venus got snatched up in all the leg shaving branding right you know like all the women's beauty i was gonna beauty, ask uh, do you take the like roman mythology creature into account subconsciously i, am not. I don't think so i am not I, I'm, I'm just, just straight up i'm just looking at a fucking planet that's surrounded by clouds yeah um, which is a little mysterious, so that bumps it up over, um, you know, over Mercury and Mars. Five, Neptune. Cool freaking name. Cool freaking name. The color, it's just deep blue. Yeah, really pretty. It's a really dope planet, it, No dude. one knows for certain why it is that color. Okay. Um, it's far away from the sun, which means it doesn't need the sun to live. F you, sun. Doesn't matter. Uh, it's the windiest planet reaches 1200 miles an hour. Great for windsurfing. That's any right. kind of those, you know, you want to go sailing. Yeah. Freaking Neptune is the planet to do it. And, uh, you, and you'll be there 165 earth years. If right. You spend one year there. Yeah, exactly. It's like one of those trippy. What's that it's movie like, that you like? It's like Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. When he goes uh, to the planet interstellar. and he gets back interstellar. on the inter interstellar yep. and he goes back to the spaceship and everybody's like, where the fuck you been? Neptune. Right. Uh, for Earth, don't really need to say anything else. You know, it's that's what it's I'm okay. saying to my wife when she takes a long time going to the store or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where'd, yeah. You, Where'd you go, Neptune? Neptune? <laughs> She's not gonna get it at all, dude. Uh, three. Wait, planets. hold on. That feels a little low for the only planet that supports. Life. Yeah, see, everyone's gonna say Which that. One? Oh, yeah, what? four is Earth. Be, everyone's oh, like, I didn't oh, even rank Earth. In yeah, my head. you know, it's like we've done it. We've been here. Cool. We know what happens. Let's go to some places that we don't know. He just ranked Earth four. Yeah. Jupiter three. It's the biggest planet. Eleven Earths across. Super dope. Um, dope planet. Really. Days are short, only ten hours, so it's funny to say, Oh yo, I slept all day yesterday. But it's ten hours. Oh, I was awake all day. I literally spent all day awake. Yeah. But it's ten hours. So listen to this. It also has fifty three moons. Which is cool. And there's more moons really on cool. other planets. Yeah. The gas giants, man. Right. These guys there's, can't have yeah, enough yeah. moons. They have huge entourages. Right, exactly. Gas giants. They got they got freaking They're walking into the stadium with thirty dudes around right. them. Jupiter, here's here's one read. To, because of its rapid rotation, the planet's shape is an ablate spheroid it has a slight but noticeable bulge around the equator <laughs> <laughs> oh, jupiter's got a dick yeah. jupiter's nick Foles. Yeah. <laughs> damn right yeah got it a, also a bulge it, yeah one of its Penis. moons is uh, one of its moons um is water is complete water no way yeah pretty how dope. is that possible just a know. drop of water out let's there. go to jupiter and freaking find out Yeah, red spot is uh, the red spot on jupiter is a storm three times the size of Earth, exactly dude. insane uh two uranus uranus however you want to say it funny name especially when you're seven years old uh 500 mile an hour winds so again kurt siphon kurt's kite surfing any kind of wind sport uh it's minus 350 degrees so the ice in your margarita will always stay icy um and it also rotates nearly on its side at 97.8 degrees i don't understand that i read that last night yeah so like the earth is you know like that yeah this one's just so yeah so yeah but it badass. depends on how you're if i'm floating in space looking this way it's right. just all perspective right right all perspective but it's cool to like be know when you're on that planet and you're like i'm I can't I'm believe traveling you sideways. Uranus ahead of of uh, of, of uh, Jupiter, of, Earth, of Earth. Earth, dude. Of any, Hell yeah. There's 500 mile. An, here's what I know about Uranus. Right. Butthole name. Yep. 500 mile per hour winds. Yep. It's just white. 
Yep. It's just white. But in like a cool, like like milk that uh, someone dumped some uh, caramel sauce in. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, number one, Saturn. <laughs> rings. Rank? And it has a car named after it. I know Mercury does too, whatever. No one cares. Saturn. <laughs> cool car. Mercury Grand Marquis, asshole. <laughs> 53 moons. One of the moons has rivers and lakes on it. No oceans because rivers and lakes are uh, more elite than oceans. I agree with you there, yep. bro. And by Saturn. the way, Jupiter's the coolest looking planet. Yeah. Jupiter's trippy looking. It has an eye, dude. It Yeah. The Do you big see that eye? eye? Yeah. Anyways, great ranking, Reed. Thank you. You, you, have me, you have me in the first half there <laughs> when you put uh, with your number I eight selection. Mer- Mercury and Mars. Yeah. Mercury way underrated. Mercury might be number two or three for me. Wow. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you know what happens when it's in retrograde? Right. That's true. Yeah, Sturgill Simpson t- told yeah. us. Mm-hmm. So, I'll I'll run this ranking by um, Leland Melvin next week. Yeah, we have to, dude. Yeah, exactly. We'll see what he says. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Hey, everybody, take care. On the, everybody out there on the number four planet in the solar system, <laughs> enjoy. Take care. <laughs>